we were in like a little like our punk scene in Seattle was really um, like uh, mostly I guess what now is kind of referred to as like shoegazer kind of and then also just like straight up like hardcore like kind of like in a straight edge hardcore kind of a sense so those were sort of like the two polar ends of the punk scene we were involved in that stuff and we were you know like engaged in what was going on but we kind of decided that we wanted to start a band that was just like uh like a punk band from before it was called punk or whatever kind of uh no guitar solos like dead boysy kind of a rock and roll band and there was a lot of sort of like uh romanticizing other places like i grew up in seattle derek was more like central in northern california from where i was Everywhere was more romantic than where I lived. We we're just going, doing our thing where we live. We were responding to something locally. Like, we didn't do anything original. We weren't trying to be original. Um, but we were trying to differentiate ourselves from what our peers were doing at that moment. Not in a, not in a confrontational way, like not like, not like to diss the bands that were around. There were a lot of really wonderful, inspiring bands, but um, we wanted to just do something else. I feel like we discovered a lot of music at the same time. Like there were a lot of records that all of us, you know, like you go through phases and you discover new shit and you're usually by yourself. And in this band, I think that a lot of that was all of us discovering at the same time and then being like, ooh, we're gonna write like this, or we're gonna, you know, like, kind of trailing off, just kind of bouncing around these sort of different inspirational records, you know, that a lot of it involved, like, New York and... Also, you make a couple records and then you listen to them and you're like, oh, fuck, some of this shit's embarrassing. Or whatever. So some of it we can hold on to, but some of it just gotta let it go and then see what happens. Also, you just improve musically. I mean, we weren't like, people got better at their instruments. And that makes a difference also, because then you're capable of, you're, you can achieve things that are in your imagination a little bit better. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Uh, season three, we are running the gamut of 14, each of our favorite bands, artists, and albums. And on tonight's episode, we are talking about an album and band that I nominated from Seattle, formed in 1996, and on again, off again, um, is the band Murder City Devils. And we're going to be talking tonight about their second record, released in 2000, titled In Name and Blood. I'm very excited to be talking about this band, um, but I wouldn't be talking about it with just myself. I talk about it with two of my lovely compatriots, my two lovely co-hosts. In one corner, I have a gentleman by the name of Stephen Earle, um, who's going tonight by Polly Walnut's hair, and... Uh, you know, I got to tell you, um, that is some of the best in the business. If you're talking about um, hair, in oh yeah, those those hair those, those haircuts. You saw them at the shows when you went and saw this band. The, the Polly Walnut hair was all over the place. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, this band is certainly popular with the uh, the pomps and the pins punks. It's uh, they they are able to 
have both of the spectrum of punk rock music. Um, but if it wasn't for um, the original OG punk man who uh, was really into rancid and um, screaming about uh, um, Ruby Soho and uh, time bombs, that would be my other dear friend, Eric Monroe. <clears throat> Yes, thank you, thank you. I, I appreciate you remembering my short-lived but important punk phase. I love all my phases the same. It was a good phase. Happy to be here. So thank you, gentlemen, for always being on this journey and this ride um, as we go bit by bit through all of our favorite things and analyze them down to the minutia and uh, doing it in our pod like a whole way. Um. But before we get into the meat of the episode by talking about Murder City Devils. Is there any Nine Inch News or, or Nine Inch Nick news to talk about? Well, yes, there is. There, There is. I'm going to answer my own question. Two items came across the wire. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis released an album called Carnage. Just the two of them. That's Nick Cage and Warren Ellis who were, uh, was it the last episode? Nick Cave? No, two episodes ago. No. Yeah, a couple yeah. episodes. Yeah. We're stuck in a uh, Mr. Show loop here. Um, yeah, a few, a few episodes ago, we talked about Nick Cave. And those two guys released a entire record. It's not soundtrack music, which they've done together before. It's actual songs with singing on them. And uh, I liked it quite a bit, listened to it two times, said I'll get back to this later. Did either of you guys give it a shot? I sure did. Um, I liked it. it. it uh, Eric, I'll let you uh, share your thoughts no. first. Mark, Mark, I want you, you insist? to go. I, I've All actually right. been been excited to hear from you. You're the one that hasn't chimed in, chimed in over the texts, so in the writers' room. So I'll, you go first. God, what a pathetic life! True. What a fucking pathetic life you leave, Eric. You're sitting around fucking <laughs> wondering what Mark's going to think about records. <laughs> hey, I am the tastemaker of today. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so. I liked it a lot. I mean, um, there are some uh, more fleshed out. Uh, I, I think that's a little too harsh to say because that makes it seem like Ghostine wasn't fleshed out. Um, I will say that it, it's an easier listen um, than Ghostine because Ghostine, I feel, is more of a commitment uh, because it you, once you start the record, it's not anything that you can just pick and choose what tracks you want to go to. This one, I think you can. Um, and uh, Nick Cave is extremely on point. Um, it is a rather stripped down record. Um, I'm still waiting for those guitars uh, to come back uh, from Dig Lazarus Dig. Um, I, I just really hope that it wasn't with the Grinderman project um, to just kind of like free that up. But, you know, I, I would even be happy to kind of go back towards uh, a push the sky away sound. Great emotional record. Um, it's high quality. Would it be one of my favorites? Probably not. I still would probably lump it in with the uh, like the Boatman's Call tier um, records that I appreciate but don't love. Um, and uh, it, it's solid. It's it's got some solid stuff on there. White that song White Elephant's really good. Uh, Carnage is really good. Um, and I, I've only listened to it twice as well, like Stephen has, and so uh, it's certainly one that you know. I will be certainly giving a little bit more time of day than I did with Ghostine. And maybe it's because, like I said, Ghostine seems like more of a commitment. Yeah, it's more immediate. 
Yeah. Eric, let's hear it. What do you got? Yeah, I, I actually only given it the the ones through, although I did go back and listen to track three and four a second time because those were just like a one-two punch, the title track and, and White Elephant. Um, yeah, the album itself, they're still dabbling in the ghost teen sounds, but it's it's done more with more of a, a focus, uh, a conventional songwriting. Uh, every song has verses and choruses and a music breakdown. Um, so if, if ghost teen was too wandering for you, um, this might be a step in the right direction. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think there may be two or three songs uh, are, you know, what I would consider bangers. Uh, the rest maybe need to grow on me, but it it was a satisfying surprise to have that show up in my streams. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's as a stripped back a skeleton tree, and I don't think it takes as long to get where it needs to get to as a ghosting. It's definitely two guys, not a whole band, and uh, it's good. I I like it. I think it's uh it fits right in with what they've been doing lately with the bad seeds in the last three albums, but uh. It's it, I I have to say that you know written and recorded during lockdown it's it's a job well done however the hell they pulled that off so yeah I'm sure they're wearing masks and staying six feet apart like oh, responsible yeah. humans very sure they did um let's see what else what else what else um anything else in the wire uh, from any of the other bands that we've covered what's uh, what's Nurgle up to uh, any 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 updates on what Nurgle's doing. Oh yeah, Nurgle. Nurgle actually started a. Uh, he started some kind of like uh, s- s- more elegantly titled than a GoFundMe, but some kind of a uh, like a, a hey artist chip in here, and then when the Polish church sues you, we'll pull from this fund to cover court costs. So he, he's uh, he, he's he's unionized. <laughs> Nurgle's unionized against the uh, the Polish church. All the artists they're unionizing. There you go. So good for them. Uh, what happened today? The Golden Globes happened today. The Golden Globes. A long time ago, didn't we talk about Nine Chanels? Sure did. We did. They win another like we, uh, another Golden Globe. We always Globe. find a reason to talk. Yeah. They were up. They're up for a few. They they were they were against themselves battling. <laughs> it was Mank versus Soul. And Soul won. And Soul won. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, both of them have elements of jazz on there. One played by Trenton Atticus, the other played by Jean Baptiste, and um, it looks like uh, the... not entirely true. Mank was composed by jo- uh, Trenton Atticus, but they had hired guns come in for all that live twenties uh, or I'm sorry, 40s oh really? Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah. honestly thought that they would be in there doing like in uh, Trent did the piano work and and he's playing on it on on probably most tracks, but like the horns, like that's all that's the uh, you know drums and stuff. That's all like live jazz uh, musicians. Well, there you so. go. All right. Um, okay, I stand corrected, but it uh, looks like the uh, Pixar film Soul. Uh, apparently was a little bit more in the golden globes wheelhouse um i think they're both great soundtracks uh i haven't watched all of mank i've watched all of soul because you know i'm the resident disney pixar fan and um yeah great film great movie uh great soundtrack and uh happy for trent he's he continues to be rewarded for his talents and being seen as someone that's uh not just respected in alternative rock music uh, circles. He's now really getting a lot of 
credibility in terms of his scoring work. Um, so good for him. Good for Atticus. Uh, love to see it. I did like in his acceptance speech that he said this is the only project he's worked on that he could share with his five kids or or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that is great. And then he's still, I mean, uh, still keeping that look alive. I I, I love it. Um, you know, he just seems he just, very family oriented these days. And as people on the internets are saying that it is so weird to see Trent Reznor win an award for a Disney film. And I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to be a little snarky, thinking that the man sold out. Um, he still continues to put out great music. He's able to wear multiple hats. Um, and just like his idol and hero and mentor, David Bowie, um, you know, he's an artist and being able to creatively stretch is part of the job. It's part of the it's part of the, the deal here. Yeah. And if you're not willing to to stretch yeah. along with your favorite artist, then that's on you, not on them. Exactly. Imagine listening. Imagine listening to uh, the Bad Witch album and and finding one second of sellout on that entire noisy cacophony of a record. So, well, all I know, all I know is I used to shave my eyebrows and dye my hair black uh, many many years ago. And uh, last night I was watching Aladdin with both my kids and enjoying it profusely. So you know, life is a very very long journey, and you can you can do all kinds of stupid shit. So. Yeah, I mean, your favorite bands and artists are not ships in a bottle. Um, they have the ability to grow and change. And if uh, you just want to throw down some snark on that and just feel like, well, that's the end of that, you know, I feel bad for you, man. Um, you know, there's more to life than what you just want to conceptualize and put people in little packages. Uh, it's, it's not about that. It's about growth. It's about change. It's about evolution. That's right. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining our TED Talk. And now we're going to talk about the Murder City Devils. Tell us all about the Murder City Devils. Well, okay. So some personal history Well, before we get into the band history. Uh, the first time I heard Murder City Devils was actually coming back from a show in San Francisco uh, with, I believe, it was um, you guys were in the car, uh, along with my then-girlfriend, current wife, and we were listening to the R.I.P. live record, and it really caught my attention, and because I hadn't really heard anything, uh, Spencer Moody, the lead singer of the Murder City Devils, he kind of has this distinctive style of singing uh, where it's a little bit of Glenn Danzig it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of James Brown soul in there um, the dude looks like Mike Mills from uh, the bass player from REM he's got, like he's this. A, he, he looks like a goddamn nerd but he can kick your ass I'm sure if you wanted to I'm like, sure he could he's, he's, he's fiery, wiry feisty but yeah, he's a point Dexter. yeah um, and it really caught my ear because and it even brought me back to a little bit of uh, like old school rock and roll, uh, very raucous garage rock um, with the uh, keyboard organ that was very reminiscent of the doors. So it had a lot of elements that um, I really, really uh, took note immediately. And I remember asking, like, who is this? And you're like, this is the Murder City Devils. This is great. The band's great. They're broken up, though. And I was like, oh, well, shit. Okay. 
Um, and um, that was my personal history. And uh, then I was working with you guys, working with um, a friend of the show, Chris, um, talking about their two records uh, that was really the most popular at the time was uh, Broken Bottles and Empty Hearts, which was their second studio record. I think I uh, uh, misspoke earlier. This is In Name and Blood was their third record. Uh, their first one was their self-titled one. Um, but uh, In Name and Blood and uh, Broken Bottles and Empty Hearts, those two were classics. Um, I picked them up immediately and I fell in love pretty hard and I was very disappointed that I wouldn't ever have an opportunity to see them, so or so I thought. Um, but that was my personal history, and um, me and my wife, we love this band uh, very, very much. And uh, they're very something special. I'll tell you what, they've only released four records, four full-length records, and one EP and one live record. Um, but uh, they're, they're something special. Um, and not to mention, they have an orbit of side projects that are, are surrounding them. As you would imagine, a lot of these Pacific Northwest Seattle bands, um, there's a lot of uh, rat fucking, if you will. A lot of, I'll be in your band, you be in my band, and it just kind of spirals up from there. Um, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about the rat orgy before we get, yeah. get into the album. How about you, uh, Eric? What's your personal history with Murder City Devils? Uh, so it was 2001, and I was my first year away from home in Sonoma State University, living on the on-campus apartments. And um, I, our little campus newspaper always did album reviews every month when it came out, and they reviewed uh, Th- uh, Thelema. And I was like, oh, shit, this sounds interesting. It was like, you know, it was like, you'll, you'll stomp your foot, uh... Yeah, it's loud, it's angry, and it's the most depressing thing you'll ever hear. And I was like, oh, that's too intriguing not to check out. And then that very same day, um, this guy that lived a couple doors uh, down that was like the only other guy on our block that seemed to have uh, okay music taste was like, oh, yeah, you got to check that out. It's it's really good. So I did. I, uh, I didn't have, like, I was, I was broke as hell when I was going there, but I did find uh, I did buy that EP because it was you know it was cheaper and uh, and I and I only had that one for a while and then uh, at some point moved back to Sacramento uh, meeting Steve at the record store and Steve liked them too and so uh, you know I had, I had heard their final album but then there was all this great back catalog to check out and um, pretty much listen guys listening to this just takes me back to just uh, you know, just you know, us guys in our <laughs> our twenties, just drinking rum and cokes and uh, stomping our foots, our feet in our kitchen and uh, at Fifteenth and V Street, and and just blaring this this like kind of punk, kind of like rock and roll throwback, uh, kind of its own thing. Um, and uh, I, this puts a smile on my face. It's it's fun and it's super nostalgic for a very specific time in my life. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the beauty of them is that they very much speaking to the kind of punk, really a crossover band. I uh, the guy heard about him when we worked at the record store. I probably heard about I heard the name before that because the name always has stuck with me. Whenever I heard that name, it just stuck with me. And at the record store, I probably heard them while working one day because half the record store were fans, I'm sure, and. Uh, that's because actually at the record store we had all all types. We had uh, we had indie nerds, we had metal guys, we had punk guys, hip hop guys. 
this is a band that everybody seemed to agree upon and uh that their fan base reflects that you go to the shows and just the people i've known the friends throughout the years i've most friends whose music tastes i give a damn about uh be they punks or the hardcore crowd or the indie kids or lack of a better term horror kids or uh the normal folks then the, even the metalheads you're going to see them all at a mercy devil show i think everybody everybody that likes rock and roll and just a touch of darkness and maybe a little bit of a you know a literature they uh mercy devils has something for you and uh yeah just got into them sometime at the record store before i knew it i owned all the albums I would listen to this album nonstop and the one before it. And uh, I definitely got into them after they broke up. It was one of those things. And it seemed other bands that we were devouring at the time were also buddies with them. And I guess uh, the the Pacific Northwest had a lot of good bands coming out in the early aughts of uh, different different genre types. But just it really spoke to me. You know, I'm I'm a hard... Hardcore Guns N' Roses fan since I was six years old. And that was, the, when I think of just the appetite for destruction is when I think of just rock and roll. That's what I want. And they definitely were a lifeline back to that sound. They don't sound like Guns N' Roses with the exception of just a, in spirit, I think. But there, there's a connection there of a, just that, the spirit of rock and roll, God damn it, And they, they nail it. Yeah, I think that... Um... That's well said. Um, I think that this band really does harken back to not so much like the uh, excess of rock and roll in the in in uh, like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses are obviously a uh, a much high caliber band, higher caliber band than Guns N' Roses. But it just it gives you that feeling of an extension of where the Rolling Stones were going and uh, how Guns N' Roses then picked up where uh, the Rolling Stones left off. And uh, it's infusing a lot of different styles here. Um, They're not just punk music. They're able to be uh, multi-genre, even though like at first blush, if you may just listen to one of these and think of them as, Oh, I see. One of those early aughts bands like the Strokes or the Hives that are trying to capitalize on that kind of sound, but it's it's more than that. If you if I, I at least I think so. There's a lot yeah, more. And we're, and we're the, the the Hives and the Strokes and stuff. We're coming more from a uh, let's just talk about the Strokes, like New York type sound. These guys were definitely they 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 were definitely plucking the vibe of a you know, Los Angeles. Uh, too much, even though they didn't wear a lot of hairspray, you know, like not glam. I, God damn it. It's, it's just, it's a mix of punk and old school rock and sleazy rock. It's just, it's a, it's a blend yeah. of those three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because back, back then you, if you were in any towns like local, uh, punk scene you wouldn't be able to throw a pebble without hitting like a rockabilly kid or like, uh, you know, or at that time psychobilly was huge. Um, and I wouldn't put these guys in there at all, um, except for just the reverence for um, that 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 rock and roll guitar. Sound. But the, you wouldn't put them in there, maybe sonically. But the fans were the same people. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was a uh, it was uh, girls with bangs and uh, polka dotted dresses, and yeah, guys with uh, Frankenstein shoes, and uh, yeah. But they were right. They were right, next, they were right next to guys with you know jean jackets and tight white pants on and. Uh, 
and I, they really appealed to a, a wide swath of music uh, loving folk. I think I, I can I can kind of tie tie Murder City Devils to your Guns and Roses comment, Steve. It's going to be kind of a leap of uh, reason, but hey, it's Sunday night. Um, uh, so there's another band, right? The Bronx, which I feel like they were great, but I feel like they did take what Murder City Devils was doing. They it was very similar style, but uh, Duff McKagan produced their The Bronx album. Um, obviously, different band, but very similar style. God damn it! Did Bru- did Duff produce them or did? Gilby Clark, the second rhythm guitarist, produced them. Oh, I, I in my head it's been Duff this whole time, but I it's one of the two. Know. But yeah, no, there's definitely a connection there. I know that one of them did, and um, yeah, uh, d- d- definitely. And uh, also, Duff is from Seattle, and I am sure that Duff has seen and promoted the Murder City Devils back in the old days. He was when when Guns N' Roses was going on. Duff was always the guy that was like also a fan of the UK subs and the Damned and all that stuff. So. There you go. There you go. go. All right. So it looks like we all have a pretty uh, uh, rich foundation of our personal history with this band. We still all love them uh, pretty dearly. And it sounds like we've all explored a lot of their different side projects, which, as Steve alluded to, we will be discussing a little bit later down the road. But to give you a little bit of a band history, if you're kind of new to this band, as they are not necessarily a mainstream band, I wouldn't put them in that basket by any means. Um, So this band consists of um, these particular members, Spencer Moody on vocals, uh, Dan Gallucci on guitar, Derek Fidesco on bass, Cody Willis on drums, uh, and uh, some of the other members that have come and gone uh nate manny who has both played guitar and bass uh he's presently also with them uh leslie hardy she was their keyboardist uh during the phase of in name and blood um nick dewitt who replaced leslie hardy after she departed the band and this band um also considered their roadie as an actually officially a band member his name was uh is gabe kerbat kerbrat Um, so that was the Murder City Devils lineup. Um, the original lineup, however, consisted of Spencer Moody, Dan Gallucci, Derek Fudesco, Cody Willis, and Nate Manny. They were formed in Seattle in 1996. Um, Gabe was their permanent roadie, um, and he was also, like I had mentioned, a, a permanent member, which was kind of cool. The fact that they wanted to include him as a member of the band, even though he didn't play an instrument, he was certainly an integral part of how they operated so you got to give it to that so they released two singles three natural sixes and dance hall music on the label die young stay pretty which was a subsidiary of sub pop and they released their self titled debut album on that subsidiary in 1997 um not a huge fan of that record um i i certainly think that as they are trying to um uh, form their sound not a whole lot of keyboard and organ on that one um, they still love to play a lot of songs from that record 
And then things really got interesting in 1998 when they released Empty Bottles and Broken Hearts, and that's when they recruited uh, Leslie Hardy as their full-time keyboard player. Um, Hardy played bass in several Seattle bands, like I had mentioned. Um, you know, a lot of rat fucking in, up in the Pacific Northwest, and she actually played a little bit in Hole, uh, who, you know, we all we all know who Hole are. Um, and then Murder City Devils went on tour with a lot of uh, those Seattle bands um, like Pearl Jam, Modest Mouse, um, and uh, Dan Gallucci would also go on to play guitar for them as well. And other bands like Built to Spill, At the Drive-In, Pearl Jam, and etc. So then in 2000, they released In Name and Blood. Uh, the liner notes had a lot of them, the band members, depicting every member as a murder victim. And they also appeared as individual actors in the band, uh, as a band in David Larson's independent film, The Edge of Coral, a movie I've never seen. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but I haven't. No. Then in 2001, they released an EP, Tholema. And uh, Leslie Hardy decided to leave the band. It wasn't anything of because of acrimony or anything like that. It was because she was developing a repetitive wrist injury. And so she just couldn't do it anymore. And so she, she left. They, 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 they couldn't get her ergonomic keyboard. They just let right. it. Just, exactly. That was it. Yeah. She made a complaint to HR, but they, they weren't able to accommodate her. I got a couple of sweethearts in my office with some with some wrist braces that they, they probably could have gave her a, a tip or two, but that's fine. A couple exactly. sweethearts, huh? <laughs> Old Jeez. Agnes from yeah, Andrew Cuomo in the line here. <laughs> um anyhow. So later that year in two thousand and one, they decided to call it quits. Um a little bit of because of the fact that Hart uh Leslie decided to leave. Um but so she was replaced by Nick DeWitt um, for their final concert, um, which was on a Halloween recording for R.I.P., which was supposed to be their very last show. Um, it's a it's a it's a good recording. They're drunk as shit. They're they're messy. They're all over the place. But it really seems to capture what's going on there. I just hope we don't do so much anymore. So uh, bear with me. Derek Fidesco, the bass player, um, he left. Uh, he wanted to focus on his new band, which was Pretty Girls Make Graves. And um, that was it until 2006, where they decided to get back together for a show in Seattle with all the original members. And we got wind of this in 2006. Uh, one of your hosts 
flew up there from San Francisco to witness, to bear witness to that. And uh, Stephen, um, I, I, I do recall you were at one of those uh, reunion shows. I, I was. I don't think I live in San Francisco yet. I think I lived in Sacramento still. Um, oh, 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 six. Yeah, you were You were still. Yeah, thank you, you Eric, for keeping, keeping track of me. Um, yeah, and it's, it's funny. Uh, at the time, the gulf between when they were broken up and got back together seems a lot larger than it really is. It was, it was like five years. Um, and that was also before every band started reuniting. Now, bands get back together all the time. Like, who gives a shit anymore when you hear bands getting back together? Uh, the Pixies got back together? Good for them. Uh, you know, uh, uh, until Husker Du gets back together and they can't. Uh, I think one of them's dead. I might be wrong. But uh, I don't I don't really care much for when I hear a band is reunited now, I'm like, oh, that's good. Good for them. I think I, I think it's just not as special as it used to be. And I am not going to show my math. It just doesn't feel as special as it used to be when a, a band you'd never think would get back together gets back together. Am I wrong here? Am I just jaded? No, I, no well, it's, it's true. Like, I, I think also like with just changing times, it's easier to I don't know. I don't want to say that, but if you're an established band and if you're not feeling it and you want to do your own thing, you know, what's up? Why do you have to do this whole, like, we're breaking up We're breaking up the band, just do your own shit. And then, you know, keep, keep that, that band in the pocket. And when you get together and you record a little bit, you know, hiatus is fine. Hiatus is fine. But this whole breakup reuniting thing seems like a, yeah. Well, also now, I mean, with the, the, back then the internet isn't what it is now. And you made your money by selling an album, touring, and selling merch. Now you have a constant revenue stream if you can sell merch online. It's not going to be you sell it like you know fifty T-shirts every day, but there's probably a good good reason to keep, claim you're a band that's still together, so you can all get a a share of those T-shirt sales off of a HotTopic.com or whatever the hell, or even your own uh, your own yeah, website. Yeah. Like I, I've noticed uh, the Murder City Devils website, which they are they are together again. Or they've been together. The like since 2009, they officially got back together again and periodically tour. And uh, they have a pretty robust website. You can buy all kinds of things there. So, anyhow, uh, yeah, no, I, I flew up there. I actually think I mentioned this the last episode. I very remember, remember very specifically. I, uh, I had to borrow money from Mark for a plane ticket, and uh, I did pay him back. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly, fairly, yeah, fairly certain I did. It was very. It was. Yeah, I actually think he. I think he offered. He's like, Steve, I need. I need you to go to this show. I'd be bummed out if you can't go. I'm like, all right, man, I'll. I'll take you up on that. And, uh, you know, getting back to that R.I.P. record that was very sloppy. They were a band that was known to be entertaining live, but not always good. Um, I think more often than not, though, they were a pretty good live unit. Uh, that show was okay. The the shows I've seen them at since 2009 and 2012. I think at Great American Music Hall and then at Slims, both in San Francisco. Uh, I think they take a lot more. Um, they take it a lot more seriously now when people come see them. They're also not as young and drunk and stupid. Uh, they're a pretty pretty darn tight live band now. I think. Um, so yeah, did you guys ever ever see them live at all? Yeah, I did. I, I saw them at the Great American Music Hall twice. Um, I can't remember the years. It was probably roughly around the years that you were describing. Was it two, uh, was it back to back or was it two different times? Uh, two different times. Uh, so it was two different tours. I think it was like a year apart. Um, but inter- and, uh, no, no, interesting then. So if you did that, because I was looking at it today, I was on set list. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember the 2009 or 10 show. 
because my girlfriend at the time later to my wife actually like <laughs> like i like, i think we picked a fight with another couple it was uh it was, it was very very i look back fondly at that night uh, some other couple were being jerks and you know, we squared up with them we didn't actually like get in the fight but we tried to fight them but anyhow that was a uh, i think that was when i decided i loved my wife um and then i remember very specifically the show at slims in 2012 or so because uh uh, I, I I talked with Spencer Moody for a while, and was, he's a charming young man. It's actually the second time I met him. I met him once at at New York. I flew to New York one time and uh, saw La Sava. I didn't go there for it. I flew to New York, and I was like, "What shows are going on while I'm in New York?" And I saw La Sava Fav and uh, Spencer Moody's band, uh, Triumph of the Skinned Man Alive, whatever the hell. Sure, sure. Uh, they opened up for him. And he was working his own merch table, and then we talked for a little bit. And uh, I also saw a John Zorn project on that trip. That was fun. But anyhow, back back to the the Slim's Murder Sea Devils thing in 2012 or so. Just talked with him for a while, and uh, is it Slim's? And it, a lot of friends were there, and it was it was a good time. It was, it was fun. The next time they played at Great American Music Hall, I didn't go, but that was 2014. So does that sound right for you? Uh, yeah, I I never saw them at Slim's. I want to say I only saw them at uh, Great American Music Hall, but maybe I only did see them once. I memory's hard, and as you get older and you uh, start killing your brain cells over and over again. Yeah, I, I had to go. I had to go through Setlist FM today to put all this together for myself. So I understand. Yeah, and I and I was I was sitting there and I was like, well, fuck. I hope. You know, not that we were that much more mature, but I was like, in, at 29, I could see my then girlfriend, now wife, and I trying to get in a fight with somebody. At uh, 20, or, or not 20, yeah, yeah, at, at, at 34, 35 ish, well, I hope we were more mature, but we weren't. But that's how I think that I wasn't at that 2014 show. I mean, because um, in 2014, they did release um, their uh, latest studio album and last studio album. They haven't released anything since then is the white ghost has blood on its hands again. Um, and I don't recall ever seeing any of those songs from that record performed live. And it was in 2012 where they released that, uh, single with every day I rise and ball busters and the peanut gallery, um, which two great songs. Um, the last record white ghost has blood on its hands again. Um, it's not one that I go off, uh, back to often, but whenever I do, um, in my mind, I always think it's like a challenging listen thinking it's like what you were talking about, that triumph of the skinned man alive. No, no, it doesn't sound like that at all, but exactly. But in my mind it does. And whenever I go back to it, I'm like, Oh, this is a fucking easy listen. There's got some great songs on here. Yeah, no, it just doesn't sound like typical murder city devils, which is a good thing. I think which they, is they, they improved as a band, but um spencer was a little out of practice vocally on that album in my opinion but there's a couple tracks that hit really hard like cruelty abounds don't worry with a little saxophone good 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 album well i I will say that off that single that mark mentioned that song every day i rise is one of my top five songs of theirs oh god Um, yeah that song is fantastic fucking great we'll save that we'll say we should save that for the uh the further listening at the end of the show but yeah but i will say this steve i i just want to like uh fact check you on this in my mind, I also want to say that you saw um, their project right after Murder City Devils dissolved. Oh, yeah. It was Dead Low Tide, and I thought you saw that at the boardwalk. I did. I was going to bring that up when we talked about the other bands, which okay, we should okay. segue to into a second here. But yes, I saw Dead Low Tide at the boardwalk, and it was awesome. Um, 
It was with Altamont, a Melvin side project, which will make a lot of sense in a minute here. Eric, did you ever see these guys? Sadly, no. I saw, um, famously, if if uh, historians one day will track the friendship of Eric and Steve, there was a, a moment, a, a horrible betrayal on my part that I'm going to go ahead and own up for right now. I'm just throw it out there in the wind. Uh, working at the record store, and it was like 30 minutes before I was off, and our manager said, oh, hey, I got two tickets uh, to this Modest Mouse show tonight in San Francisco. Uh, and I, at the time, had a girlfriend and I was like, that I was just starting to, to hang out with and this was going to be my, uh, my cool move. So I took her, didn't even ask Steve, went up, went up to San Francisco, saw Modest Mouse and Triumph of the Lethargy Skinned Alive, that band that you were you guys were talking about it open it's it's spencer moody from mercy devil singing and then uh the guy the guitarist from helio sequence doing like loops and noise in the background and uh that's the closest i've, I've gotten to seeing murder City devils live but the uh the next day steve took me out to mountain mike's pizza <laughs> i remember this <laughs> took me out to it and we sat in the parking lot for a <laughs> We sat in the parking lot for a minute, and he told me that it was messed up. That we that I didn't even that we, I didn't talk to him about it first, but he forgives me because he knows. You know. <laughs> he said that's a classic I, Steve move. Yeah, yeah. He, said, I for, he says I forgive you because I know this girl. You know, you're 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 interested in this girl, but just know I would have really enjoyed it. Now it's done. Water on the bridge. Let's go eat some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything here is incredibly on brand from, uh, you know, let's just let bygones be bygones. I don't want to hold a grudge here. In this case, I, I'm actually really good at holding grudges, uh, usually for things that don't um, matter at all. I'd say I specialize in that. But, um, yeah, telling someone that they should be sorry for something that they shouldn't be sorry for at all. And then say, well, I accept your apology. You don't owe me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That is a classic move. I, but, oh, but you specifically had the conversation with me in the pizza parking lot. Like, <laughs> like I didn't want to just. I didn't, I didn't to ruin the pizza. The, no, we had to get through the hard stuff, and then and then we got to just just devour some uh, lunch lunchtime Mountain Mike's Pizza Buffet. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, Eric and I used to go to buffets together a lot. Actually, <laughs> it's a very true thing we used to do. I don't know uh, if we were true. poor or what, but just yeah, King Smorgie. Yeah, oh, yeah, one time, yeah. yeah, we had half hour breaks when the record store and one time we ran over to king smorgie which was in the same parking lot which was the chinese food all you can eat and we just stuffed ourselves full for 30 straight minutes it was just <laughs> disgusting uh, probably probably crammed some ice cream on top of it at the end some soft serve uh, <laughs> terrible decisions um oh man all right so yeah speaking of king smorgie the murder city devils there was a veritable smorgie of bands that they just came from and then begat and uh mark you mind if i just go through them here and we can talk about if we ever listen to them or not just go through the list we'll do it quickly here yeah all right i'm not even going to get into unless i remember who was from what because i just have a list of bands here if i remember i'll say it who who was from what band but uh uh, Area 51, that was a few of them were in that band. I think that predated the Hookers. Uh, you guys ever listen to them? No, you didn't. 
No. Um, the Hookers. I own this album. Did you guys have The Hookers? I did. I, nope. I, I picked I picked this one up, too. Yeah, The Hookers was very pre-self-titled Mercy Devil's album. Actually, that song, uh, the last song, I Tell You Brother, whatever the hell it is, that's uh, that, that song, an ver- early version of that's on The Hookers. And it's also on the first Murder Sea Devils album. Um, the young lady from Pretty Girls Make Graves, uh, Andrea Zolo, I believe her name is. She Correct. actually was the vocalist, I think. Right, Eric? Am I wrong? No, I don't. Uh, yeah, or she was She was in it. Maybe yeah. she wasn't the vocalist. She was in the band. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. She's awesome. She gave us the, uh, the, the highlight of that uh, self-titled album, Boom Swagger Boom. Yeah. Right. They're all right. Yeah, the hookers became the Murder City Devils. Uh, Pretty Girls Make Graves. I think we all own one or two albums by them. I own all of them. Did you guys ever get into them? Yeah. Did they have a record? What was their second record that they released on ship? They probably were all on Sub Pop. Um, it had us a black cover with a horse's eye on it. Yeah, th- this oh, is the, a... the new romance or something. Yeah, right? That's the one that I had. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, they were. Uh, that was the guitar player, I think, from Under Sea Devils. One of the guitar players, the other guitar player, I don't know. Uh, or the Derek drummer. Okay. No, Derek Fredesco was in Modest Mouse. This is the other guy. That's right. Thank no, you. Dan Gallucci was in Modest right. Mouse. Dan so Fredesco. Yeah. Eric Fredesco was in Pretty Girls. Yeah, it was very early aughts, indie rock, fast paced keyboards. Andrea Zolo was on vocals. Uh, nothing that I'm going to go out of my way to listen to, but I like a few of the songs uh, when I hear them. Uh, I actually did go out of my way to listen to them. Uh, friend of the show and artist on the uh, last couple seasons of this podcast, Greg Walgas, visited me, and we drove to San Francisco to see them play in a Amoeba Records live free show. Uh, there you go. So I did see them play. That was fun. And uh, they're, they're, they're a fun band. Yep, they were. They're uh, they're broken up now. The Cold War Kids. I think it's that same guy. Uh, no, it's not that same guy. I don't know. This is actually the guy that was a modest mouse. Uh, Dan Gallucci. Yeah. At yeah. one point, he was in the Cold War Kids. I've listened to a few songs. It's not for me. The he wasn't part of the beginning or the end of that band. He came in in the middle. Uh, just so your standard. This is like two thousand, like mid aughts to the right. teens. Like Andy Rock stuff, yeah. Even the, even the name alone kind of annoys me. Uh, you guys familiar at all? Yeah, I think I listened to one record. A lot of call and response action on that one. Um, kind of in that same vein. Uh, I would put like them in the same box as Hold Steady. Um, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. The Hold Steady is actually good, in my opinion. Um. Uh, let's see here. Smoke and Smoke. That's another Spencer Moody weirdo project. You guys ever listened to that one? No, but I heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's similar to Triumph of Lethargy, Skinned Alive to Death. Hey, Eric, how would you describe Triumph of Lethargy, Skinned Alive to Death? Well, I, just like I said, there's programmed drum loops. There's guitar noise that, that gets looped through a pedal. And like, um, I think it's the Helio Sequence guy is playing... Uh, all the guitar stuff, at least early on in that band. And Spencer's doing uh, a lot of improv vocals over it, it sounds like. Um, That's a difficult listen. They do have a newer album that has a couple songs that almost sound like really good folk, but just noisy and loopy that I can't help but like. Um, They were fun seeing them live, but I think most of that was just the surprise. Like, I did not know who this band was, and then Spencer Moody walked out on stage. So I was was stoked. uh, but there, it's a difficult listen. 
and it's still they're still active band. I think Andrea Zolo plays drums for them sometimes too, um, or maybe that's Smoke on Smoke. Uh, broadcast Oblivion, uh, the Deep Creeps, or Deep Creep, other two that have other members of which I forget, and uh, the Death Wish Kids. That was an earlier band that had a couple of them. Maybe maybe had the guy from Pretty Girls Make Graves in it. I, I don't, you know, all these bands you get them all mixed up. I have a I, seven inch. I have a seven inch of theirs that I completely forgot was Murder City Devils related and should have listened to before we recorded tonight. There you go, the Death Wish oh. Kids. I, I, you know, I really, I just rattled through these to get to the meat. We're gonna get to the meat in a second. We're gonna take a big bite out of that hamburger. I tell you, oh boy. Um, before we get to the the meat. John and Spencer Booze Explosion. Great, <laughs> great name. I own the uh, the EP. I can't oh, tell yeah. you what it sounded like. What did you guys ever listen to that yeah, one? Yeah, yes, that was that was a cover album. Every song was and and listen as we'll talk about in a minute. Spencer Moody loves a cover song, um, especially like old stuff. Doing it his way. Uh, one might call it ironic covers. I don't think that's the case. I think he's actually pretty earnest with his covers. Um, but yeah, that one has a uh, glue reed cover on it. Um, some other shit. It's, it, it's just a very noisy, uh, like recorded on a drunk, like weekend, like literally that's what that album is. Uh, and just cover uh, like five cover songs. And, uh, Mark, did you ever give that one the time of day? The John Spencer booze exposure uh, explosion? Yeah. No, no. Um, no. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'll, I'll keep that on my radar, but no, no, don't, you don't, you don't need to bother. And uh, the Cave Singers, that's, uh, I think, Pretty Girls Make Graves. A couple of the people from that started the Cave Singers. They're kind of folky. They sound like their name. It's not that bad. Either of you listened to the Cave Singers? No, heard the name, but never, um, never picked them up. All right. Dead Low Tide, we just talked about them. Dead Low Tide is very inter- they're very interesting. It's essentially a Murder City Devils album without keyboards. Uh yeah, I could, came out I came out shortly after they broke up. Um one album, pretty straight ahead. You can tell us the same guys from Murder City Devils. A little slower, I think. A little bit more angular. Uh what do you guys think of that record they have? Self-titled. It's been- it's been years since I've actually listened to it, um, and I, I didn't revisit it. Uh, I should have, um, as I was uh, preparing for this episode, um, just to kind of give it a little bit of uh, framing. Um, I remember I enjoying it, but I also was thirsting for the real thing. I was just hoping, like, why, why do we have to do this? Um, not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I enjoy the record. Uh, Spencer, as a vocalist, um, especially post-Murder City Devils, um, could be accused of doing his, like... I knew. Uh, here it comes. Here, here comes Eric and the talking and I, thing. I knew, I knew it was coming. I'm just, I'm just saying, it, it, it's lazy, and it's all over that album, but you can't beat White Flag and Laser Dazer Love. Those two songs... Go in the Murder City Devils pantheon. Deadlift Tide is worth a listen. Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty good album. The lyrical themes are similar, and uh, it's got two, three, three members of the band, three fifths of the band, and uh, that gets us to Modest Mouse. And that's uh, is that I get it mixed up. Dan Gallucci or the other guy? Dan, yeah, yeah. Dan Gallucci was a Modest Mouse actually before Murder City Devils um, on some songs. 
If you go through their discography, he pops up all over the place in the 90s stuff and the early aughts. And then uh, when they hit, when they like got signed to a major label, he was a full-time member for a while. So he's sitting pretty, I'm sure, with the, uh, the bank account. And uh, I am a, I'm a pretty big Modest Mouse fan. That's not really a... A, uh, a controversial statement. They've released a lot of good records. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of Modest Mouse before. They're on the Kids Bop albums, if you if you weren't aware. So, um, yes, uh, Modest Mouse is a band that I always appreciate every time that I listen to them. Every time. I always enjoy the records from pretty much top to bottom. But they're not a band that I always have uh, such an undying love for. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I could I could go for a little bit of this. And it's funny that you say that. As soon as I fired um, through the Murder City Devils discography, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of in the mood for Modest Mouse. And it wasn't because of the Dan Gallucci connection. It was more for the singing style, or should I say caterwauling style, of Spencer Moody and Isaac Brock. I think that they certainly are um, cut from the same cloth in that sense. Um, the records always are an interesting listen. And when I was revisiting the first and second record uh, before airtime, it was also surprising to see how long some of the songs were. Like we're talking five to six minutes. Oh yeah, they've got they've got some kind of explorations. Ones. Yeah, they go they, they take you for a journey. And that's fine. It's it's almost like a uh, you know I'm not a big pavement guy, but uh, I would say that Modest Mouse and Pavement generally like to explore a certain song. Really like to wring out as much blood from that stone uh, from that guitar. Uh, kind of tone and riff as much as they possibly can before moving on and I think that like is an indication of what the Grateful Dead also like to do I'm not a dead fan by any sense of the definition but I also appreciate the fact that they do like to explore where a song can go um, in uh, different pathways so Murder City or uh, excuse me Modest Mouse great band that has got some great songs but it's just a band that i just never fall deeply in love with but i every record that i listen to i'm like this is a good time yes and eric we already discussed you and uh, modest mouse they sound like betrayal when you listen to them so <laughs> it's fine uh, but at this point, Eric does want to remind everyone that Modest Mouse is great. But be sure to listen to the side project of that uh, one album, Ugly Casanova, because he loves that album. I do. That is a good uh, record. I do. I like that a lot. It's just that noisy. There's some like fun little electronic leaps and bloops and loops in it. Uh, Isaac Brock is singing. And then he brings on like uh, Black Heart Procession to play on a couple tracks on there, too, which will come up later this season. Um, yeah, a lovely little time capsule of early aughts, like uh, indie, which I appreciate. So all those bands aside, that's all good for them. Good for all those bands that happened. But sometimes I think the Murder City Devils, while I do adore them, they existed to get us to a stepping stone to something that some would say arguably is a greater band. That's a, that's a loaded statement. But uh, Cody Willis from the band joined Jared Warren from a band called Carp. And they formed Big Business, a band that is primarily just drums and bass with vocals. And they've released five Stone Cold classic albums. I love every one of them. 
I like seeing big business whenever I can see them. They're heavy. They're groovy. They're metal. But you can stomp your foot and shake your ass to them quite a bit, which is weird for a two-piece. And then for, shit, six years or so, they joined the Melvins. So the Melvins had uh, Buzz and Jared on guitar and bass, and then Cody and Dale on dueling drum kits. And that was some of the best Melvin shows I ever saw. They made it work. It wasn't too busy. The albums that the Big Business plus the Melvins released together are some great Melvins albums. Big Business released five good albums. They released three and a half albums with the Melvins. They are just a powerhouse. Uh, I'm a big, big business guy. No shocker here. You guys ever listen to the Big Business? Oh, yeah. Big Business are great. I'm not to cut you off, Eric, but I remember um, uh, in a, a show, I think they, so Altamont, Big Business, and the Melvins all went on tour together. That's fun. And and for what I understand, Altamont, which was a Dale Crover project, they started it out, and then Big Business would come on stage, and then the Melvins would come on stage. Yeah. But it was essentially just an addition, every single transition between the bands. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to get off stage now. It was just like, all right, now we're joining you, and now we're Big Business. It was just an interesting way to to add that. I mean, a big business didn't have any of the members from Altamont, but it was just an interesting transition between going into the three different bands. Um, yeah, big business, uh, kind of a two piece, right? Um, yeah, they are. They, yeah, they'll add they'll add saxophones and guitars when they need to, but they're they're a two piece. Yeah, yeah, and um, at that time. Uh, I would say the uh, the other side of the coin to big business was that other band, um, Death from Above, 1979. And let me tell you, um, big business are certainly the better side of that coin. Or, so. or uh, you know, Hello was doing something similar, or Lightning Bolt. There was, yeah. but uh, big business were the ones that kind of stuck around, and they're the ones that I think they're pretty respected. Their albums are not just experiments; they're actual songs. And I just I love listening to them. When I put them on, I'm gonna. They put me in a good mood. They they for some reason those two guys are able to make a full sound together. And Cody Willis, who actually, and we'll talk about the Murder City Devils album in a moment. He 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 does actually. I think he actually is very strong part of the, of the Murder City Devils. But he was never asked to do anything too complicated. And when he does do anything different, you notice it because there's not a whole lot going on with the beats per minute on their records. But Christ Almighty, the guy's a great drummer. Uh, in big business, he just his kit's a giant kit, and he's doing all kind of things. He, he's doing everything except uh, flipping upside down and doing the Tommy Lee uh, three sixty maneuver. Um, uh, Eric, big, we, Eric, have we seen Big Business together before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, the three of saw, us have seen them together. Yeah, we before. saw them open for Melvin's here in Sac. That was the last time I saw Melvin's live. Uh, long time ago. I mean, at this point, you know, ten. Yeah, that would have been well, at uh, Harlow's. That was a Harlow's well, show. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, if if you haven't listened to Big Business, just listen to the song "Eyes Have It." The "Eyes Have It" is a one that has never left my uh, my on the go playlist. It's a good one. And one thing I, I like about them is that uh, Jared Warren, the vocalist and bass player, uh, he's always sound like he does. But it's just funny when he joined the Melvins because he also has like he's a really he's tall, tall dude. And he's kind of got like some kind of Jewish afro going on. Buzz has his afro going on. And they both have that same type of vocalization where it's like a man on a mountain bellowing into the, the cavern. It's uh they both have that same style. It's 
Ooh. It's fun. Uh, big business. Good time. Someday so, Robert Smith will walk out and the world will split in three. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And then Sideshow Bob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, guys, uh, that is quite the... Uh, I think we've we've done it all in terms of the background and the connections and the all of the tentacles that Murder City Devils is in, in uh, intertwined into. So I think it's time that we uh, drop the needle onto In Name and Blood and start it out with talking about track one, Press Gang. So that was Press Gang. Um, just some historical background. Um, in pre-Victorian England, um, around the 18th century, uh, press gangs, or the term impressment, would essentially abduct young men, um, either through violence or coercion, for the purpose of forcing them into naval service. And uh, this song does a very good job of essentially kind of describing what that would be like. Whether this song has double meanings about um, having a nautical theme that generally does thrive into the Murder City Devils themes and um, all throughout. I mean, if you look at the band that went after Murder City Devils, Dead Low Tide, they, they certainly have a fascination with the sea. But a common tactic of press gangs was to get their victims drunk and drug them or knock them out. And then when they came to, they'd already be at sea with no chance of escape. Uh, some would say that would be kind of, uh, in colloquial terms, shanghai Um And in this sense, uh, this guy was smart. He waited until he had an opportunity and he fled when the ship was at port in the Pacific. But he couldn't resist returning, returning home, presumably to Great Britain, which is an island, hence any island wouldn't do. Um, so before I get into my personal feelings about this track, um, I want to hear what Eric has to say about Press Gang, track one. Ah, forget about it. This, this song uh, starts with, uh, you know, this 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 uh organ riff and uh this guitar riff that kind of kind of sets the stage it and it gets stuck in your noodle you'll you'll be humming it to yourself all week <clears throat> and uh it has i 
I what I love about Spencer Moody's lyrics is they are they are simple. They they get to the point. They're very clear what they're about, but they could also work on other levels too. Um, and yeah, he's singing. You know, he's talking about you know. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, pecked by the seagulls, hanging from the gallows, twisting in the breeze, dripping something on the streets. I can see him from my window. They can see him from the water. Just a victim of the press gang. Just somebody who defied, uh, tried to leave the ship after they've been they've been ad- uh, absconded, and and were executed for that that essential uh, what they were calling treason at the time. <clears throat> is it gets to you? But then when you get to the chorus. I knew him when he was breathing. He was a good man. He was a young man. He was like you. He was like me. It could have been me. This kind of puts another layer on it where we've all maybe in our younger days <clears throat> seen somebody living their life, maybe similar that we do, nothing different, but they're taken from us too early. And, um, you know, of course, this song, historically, there's a there's another layer of uh, government uh, oppression that's happening, but just that 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 kind of feeling that you know I just got lucky I wasn't the one that got roofied in the bar, um, it's great. Uh, uh, the screaming "Don't go drinking down by the docks!" Great line, I appreciate. Uh, and uh, every time they do the chorus, there's another layer of chords that play over it until it gets really big at the end, and then there's this riffage after uh, the bridge that is something for the people. This is a great opener. I love the nautical stuff because it is thematically fits and you'll hear that come up a few more times. Um, and uh, Spencer's doing some of his best. If you listen to him over the albums, he kind of starts in a kind of punk punk place where he's singing, screaming here and there. He reins it in a little bit more to sing in, in the second album. And this one, I think he's, he's, he's uh, exercising his chops pretty well. And uh, the whole band is on fire here. Great song. Press gang. Yeah, great song, Stephen. What do you What do you got? Oh yeah, this this one's an ass kicker. I I don't remember the first time I heard it, but I want to say that the first time I heard it, it kicked my ass. Uh, you hear those just like if this is your introduction to this band, you pretty much are going to be sold by this song with the haunting organ, and then when those drums kick in, and then uh, the 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 guitar the guitar riff with uh, Spencer talking about. The seagulls plucking at the guy. Uh, it all comes together really fast, and very haunting song. And uh, there's going to be, you know, there's Emergency Devils had two sides to them, or maybe more than that. But what I really remember them for is the Straight Ahead Rockers, usually about you know getting your heart broken or something. But then they have these more romantic gothic tracks, and not romantic in the uh, the loving way, but uh, I don't know Americana gothica type stuff and this song is like the template for that and i think this song is actually where they spring off to for thelema quite a bit this is a, the thelema ep is this song uh exploded in in other directions um it's a great track uh that whole way he delivers that he should have kept his mouth shut line always gets me uh just that he should have kept his mouth shut it's very just, it really makes a statement. Um, and I never knew about press gangs until the Murder Sea Devils. Essentially, is it like getting shanghai or you, know, you get drunk at the docks and then you wake up on a boat? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, uh, that's kind of the same idea that you 
get drunk, wake up on a boat, and now you're part of a crew. Um, but it, this certainly was something that occurred very regularly in <clears throat> Victorian England, where they just now put them into service for the naval. So, yeah. There used to be a, a bar called the Shanghai and Auburn. It's now called the California Club, I think. Um, it's unfortunate. When the movie Phenomenon was filmed here, John Travolta was seen drinking there occasionally. Anyhow. There you go. Um, yeah, so I agree with you. This song is an absolute ass kicker. It's a monster track. Um, one part in this song that really elevates it into the pantheon for me. For This is a top tier uh, Murder City Devil song, if you ask me. Um, when I think of Murder City Devils, this is like one of the songs that immediately comes to mind for me. The woke up on the water part is Goosebump City for me. It 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 goes into <laughs> another area. Uh, God, I love that part. It it is just gives me so much chills. Um, this is probably the first song that I heard from a studio version of Murder City Devils, and it absolutely blew me out of the water. And it immediately like, okay, fan for life. This is it. I'm I'm fully bought into what this band is all about. After hearing just a you know the record of the live record as we were traveling from San Francisco back to Sacramento after a live show, um, I was immediately like, I'm gonna fall in love with this band. Um, and I also do have a somewhat of a fascination with Life at Sea, um, as these guys seem to do. Um, whether they're trying to relate, whether it's themselves and how they are disconnected from your friends and family because murder city devils were known as a very hardworking road band um you know out there really touring really playing a lot of shows and in this could be a metaphor for them essentially being like a crew as they were at sea and uh it's a theme that team seems to show up a, a lot of times in their songs. Um, and I think Spencer Moody does have a fascination with kind of the pirate life. If you ask me. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, he had, I'll, a... I'll get to that in a few tracks, but uh, and very, and very personally to him uh, in his latter years in Seattle, as we'll discuss. Oh yeah. No, I'm sure that we'll get there on uh, the track. No grave, but the sea. Um, but this is a track that is um, unbelievable. I love it. Uh, the keyboard organ starting off with a slow buildup, and it gives way to Spencer talking about being pecked by the seagulls, uh, whether that's a, um interpretation of being pecked by the press. Um, as we talk about this record and go into our personal feelings about this, we'll share um, a critic review from a very well-known website. Um, but I will say Press Gang is a phenomenal track, and I love it dearly. Yes. They do not have Nick Cave's Metascore, but, uh, but we will we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, did you guys know that there is a remix of this song off the Buddyhead sampler that I, Steve, I know you had because I burned the, that from you. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's remixed by the Latch Brothers. And it's like, uh, it's just the organ and Spencer singing and then like a Tom, Tom, Tom sampled drum beat. It never actually finds its groove, but it's out there. It exists. A dance version of this song. And so, something else that exists out there somewhere is I used to have a, used to have two, two Murder City Devil t-shirts. One was a 
skull and crossbones, and then one was the press gang one with the white on black image of a man in the gallows with a crow in the gallows pole. That is one of my favorite t-shirts I've ever owned. I have no idea what happened to it, but uh, I doubt it would fit today, but uh, even if it didn't, I would still rock it somehow. That's It's out there somewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I feel that. It's great track. It, it's unbelievable. One uh, actually in in one one moment from the song I want to bring up is that at the 3 minute and 12 second mark is when uh, the song stops and the only thing you hear is the guitar going down do down do down do down and then the whole band comes back in. That's uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great moment. Yep. Yeah. Good song. Great opener. They they that's a they if you put that one in the middle of the album, you'd be stupid. Perfect opening song. Perfect opening song. Yeah. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and go into track two. I drink the wine. that was i drink the wine um we made a deal in the car you stay angry i'll feel nothing at all um i want to know what steve thinks about i drink the wine that's a it's a good track too it uh ups the momentum a bit it's one of their more straight ahead songs a bit but not boring um it is one of the tracks where i wonder why they even bother with two guitarists i wonder that often uh Sometimes it's like you guys are doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> like they don't. That's one. That's one. There's one critique of Murder City Devils I have is I wish the guitar players would stagger themselves some more. Um, I guess that's just punk rock. Who knows? Uh, you know, the opening drums kicking the the door in, leading up to that '60s style organ is great with the song starting. And it does kind of kick into like a like a surfish guitar sound actually. Um, uh, it's a it's a song about a, a guy leaving somebody I guess yeah leaving someone his bags are in the van he's uh he's got one foot in the van he's just getting out of there and this 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 one has some of that early Guns N' Roses feel to it for me and uh, the 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 line I drank the wine and threw away the rose is a play in a Merle Haggard lyric which uh, Merle has a song called I threw away the rose and if you're Doing anything even semi-related or semi-similar to Merle, I am okay with it. It's a, it's a good song. Is it Merle or George Jones? In my head, it was George Jones, but I can understand it being uh, a Merle thing. Hmm. Well, I know Merle performed it, but those country guys played each other's songs all the time. I'll look that up. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally I can see it from either one of those country singers. I mean, you might be thinking I, I, of the you might be thinking of the song called "The Rose." Um, which is a different, which is a different song. That is true. Um, 
I know that George Jones definitely had some hard drinking songs. So. Yeah, no, uh, Merle Merle wrote this one. There you go. Good yeah. job. Good job. All right. All right. So, Eric, um, I drink the wine. Yeah, Did we're talking about uh, Kiss from the Rose, right? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, that's for season four. That's right. No, this is uh, definitely a, like you guys said, a breakup song. You know, my bags are in the van and I don't expect a kiss goodbye. Um, uh, I like it. Uh, the pre chorus stuff has some good riffage. Uh, and that's like, your comment about the two guitarists, you're right. They don't, they don't utilize it as, as well as maybe some other bands. But um, if you just need somebody doing power chord riffs to get you in the groove while somebody does the very, ba- like very basic, simple uh, rock riff, but just enough to get your toe tapping, that's how they're utilizing. And I'm okay with that. Um, uh, Spencer's using some of his best singing on this song. Very mournful. Um yeah, I like it. And when he shouts, uh, and you gave me your heart, and it just, you hear his voice crack as he sings that part. So it's a good moment. It's a nice little breakup song. Very simple, not a lot to say. Yeah, um, I do agree. I think it's a solid track, too. Um, I, like I had mentioned before, we uh, kicked it over to Steve. We made a deal in the car. You stay angry. I'll feel nothing at all. I think that's a great lyric that really does embody having a relationship um, kind of in your 20s when expressing emotions is still troublesome. And especially if you've kind of emotionally disconnected from your partner, like, okay, you can be angry, but I'm fucking over this. So I'm just going to feel nothing at all. Uh, So I, I feel like this song is sung from a person who is already emotionally distant and disconnected from their partner, despite all of their overtures to want to connect, you know, giving that wine and roses but only the wine is drank in this situation and the roses are just completely thrown away. And then with the flowers in your hair and I'm leaving for good, my bags are already packed. Um, I get the image of the opposite of that mama's and papa's California dreaming song with, if you're leaving, you know, put flowers in your hair, just kind of sit hitting the open road and saying goodbye without really caring about the other person. Um, it's a theme that I feel that is um, on this record. Just, being a touring rock band and just having to disconnect and just focus on what you want to achieve and accomplish. It's that rock and roll image of I'm just focused on, you know, hitting the road, baby. Sorry that you're like, put your, you gave your heart to me, but I buried my heart. Um, yeah, and, he's essentially a snake from the Simpsons. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. And uh, how he delivers that, I drink the wine and I threw away the rose towards the end. That's uh, it's, it's pretty fucking rock and roll. It is, and the drums right behind it. Like I said, uh, Cody's uh, his drumming is not doesn't have to be anything complicated. But man, he can hit hard, and he really knows how to fill the song when he needs to. Right oh, yeah. after that, right after that, threw away the rose line. He really just comes in again with the bada 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 bada. It's it's uh, it's great. Yeah. Um, so good one to punch out of, uh, out of in name and blood so far. So let's see what track three has in the bunkhouse. Yes. We're going to, we're diving into this album's first use of, uh, Moody Wolf Howls, which he loves. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's peek into the bunkhouse and see what those cowboys are talking about.
so that was bunkhouse it certainly starts out like an 18 wheeler hitting the open road um so eric you got your trucker hat on tell me what's going on in this breaker this breaker yeah absolutely uh bunkhouse is a is a great song um uh, you know, before even getting to the music, uh, some of my favorite lyrics in here: "A cowboy is to the prairie as a sailor to the sea. A cowboy is to the prairie like a trucker to the highway." Uh, it's, it's some fellowship, like the fellowship of loneliness. There are just some, you know, there are some vocations that force somebody into loneliness, but um, it also appeals to people that maybe need that as well, and and I, I appreciate that. There are there's some funny lyrics in here that you almost think uh, are are almost like dissing fake cowboys, uh, because you know you're 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 uh, basically saying if you don't think cow like this whole like machismo of cowboys, if you don't think cowboys cry, well you've never heard a cowboy song. It's a great it's a great hook. I think about this the lyrics often to this, um, and then if I couldn't love it enough, they crack you over the back of your skull with a with a two by four with a Tom Waits reference, uh, when he says, uh, if you don't think cowboys cry, you've never been left for a campfire and a can of beans, which is a line from Lucky Day off the Black Rider soundtrack. But I mean, is it, 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 it's thematically the same, but it's not the same exact line, is it? Well, the, uh, or, uh, there's nothing like a campfire and a can of beans, is the Tom Waits one. And this one says, you've never been left for a campfire and a can of beans. It's just, I don't know. Maybe he's not referencing Tom Waits. I mean, again, I mean, also, Eric, I hate to shatter your world here, but it could also be a reference to the Dennis the Menace movie with Christopher Lloyd as the hobo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> eating a can of beans. Um, uh, we, we know where that scene ends. And that's a different, <laughs> different kind of organ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about lighting farts, I believe. That's right. Uh, okay, fine. Maybe it's not a Tom Waits reference, but... They they both love their pirate shanties enough. I can't. Well, no, Eric, I can I can guarantee you, Spencer Moody is a Tom Waits fan. You're probably there's a there's a connection there. And I I thought of you because I I love that song. You pointed it out to me on uh one of our many romantic nights together in our youth, uh probably in between King's Morgan and uh, driving over to Mountain Mike's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a that's a great Tom Waits song. And uh, the, the thematically, yes, very similar to what he's got going on here. Yeah. But uh, it's one of the more poppy songs on here. Um, there's a there's some great guitar soloing, and I love the wolf howls. That's all I got. Yeah, Spencer loves his wolf howls. Um, not the first time he's done them, and won't be the last time he does them on this album either. Uh, uh, yeah, this song, I, I, I like the whole outlaw country thing. I mean, we're just talking about Merle. But I'll go through our phases for whatever reason where we, like, slip into a genre for a while that we are comfortable with. And lately I've actually been in a big time outlaw country deal. And that's, that's, that's stuff that I was raised on. And I liked the, the majority of my life, uh, you know, Waylon and Willie and Johnny and Chris, it's all, it's all great stuff. And they touch on some of the same themes uh, in this band and in this song specifically. Uh, it actually reminds me, I wanted to share with you guys that the, the highwaymen, which was the band that was, Waylon, Willie, Johnny, and Chris Christopherson. I'm listening to them a lot lately. They released a couple of albums in the late 80s. And I was actually listening to one this morning. I tend to listen to Willie Nelson on Sunday mornings. It seems there's a he's fitting there. And so I'm listening to Highwaymen today, and I'm, I'm reading the lyrics with my son. 
And they have a song that's their title track, Highwaymen, off the album Highwaymen. And each one of the each one of the members of the band starts talking about like some old like version of just a man, a lonely man. And uh, yeah, Willie, who says he, I was a highwayman along the coach roads I did ride. Then you've got Chris Christopherson. I was a sailor. I was born upon the tide. And then you've got uh, Waylon. I was a dam builder across the rivers deep and wide. All right. And then the last verse, you've got Johnny coming in. And remember, this is Johnny Cash in the 80s. Johnny Cash in the 80s who did the song Chicken in Black where he dressed like a giant chicken. I fly a starship across the universe divide. And when I reach the other side, I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. Perhaps I may become a highwayman again. Or I may simply be a single drop of rain. But I will remain. And I'll be back again and again and again. got the other three guys talking about these classic trades <laughs> and fucking johnny cash comes in i fly a starship across the universe divide <laughs> i just i don't, I don't know <laughs> it, just, it strikes me as funny <laughs> uh, the other three no crew so yeah yeah, the other, the other three are out here doing classical, you know, road work, and then Johnny blazes by in a starship. He was <laughs> really something going on there with that guy. Uh, Bunkhouse is a good song. It's got a good good groove to it. Um, I, I, I find it interesting they talk about your daddy not being from Montana, and these guys were, were buddies with, uh, with Botch. They did a split with Botch. They toured with Botch. They were friends with Botch. And Botch had an album about what was it? Wyoming? What the hell was that album called? Um, oh. I might be reaching here, but Botch had a, actually their lo- one of their logos. Another T-shirt I had was was a uh, was a cowboy like wrangling something under like Montana skies. Yeah. Um, anyhow, the uh, Botch was a great band. How they 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 narrowly missed the season. We've talked about this before. Season four, we'll do a Botch album, but. Uh, yeah, like all the stuff Eric said about the song just being a, a good old, you know, you're not really a cowboy unless you've just you've been left behind and you don't have a father figure. It's good stuff. It's kind of got a boom swagger, boom, boom, boom uh, beat to it. It's a shuffler. Um, I think it's a good a good pace shifter after the, I mean, the first track had that gothic stuff I like. The second track had the brokenhearted, I'm getting out of town stuff that this band is good at. The third track kind of takes you back to the boom swagger, boom, boom, boom uh, beat to it. The, the 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 lyrics are, you know, cowboy oriented, but the pace of this song and the classic vibe of it kind of has like a strutting feel to it. So it's, it's good. Good track. It is a good track. Um, I will agree with Eric, you know, the comparison to cowboys to prairies sailors to the sea truckers to the open highway um really just trying to emphasize the solitary tough guy that uh um is working a job probably doesn't cry but expresses himself through sad songs 
or other ways of expressing his loneliness and sadness. Um, and uh, you both have already indicated that there's some A-grade wolf howls from Spencer. And uh, I think that's one of the big, big things on this record, that he's howling at the moon. Um, one of the things that I think this song does pretty well is that it achieves to be a old school rock and roll song, but it has a country theme, like you were indicating, Steve, with your outlaw country uh, connection, but it doesn't have any indication of being a country song musically. Yeah. Um, I, I think it does that type uh, uh, walk pretty well. There's no like twangy, you know, Southern guitar you know, happening, but lyrically it, it certainly is in that same vein. So you have to tip your hat to that. And, uh, it's a great, it's a great track so far. Um, you know, they're proving that they are able to walk into different genres without really wanting to, I guess, uh, isolate some of their fans. You know, I think that they're doing a well, uh, like a pretty well job of being able to incorporate a lot of their influences without really challenging their audience. And you have to tip their hat to that, um, to what they're doing here. So with that, we can take a look at our hands and see if they're idle with idle hands. that was idle hands um if i remember in the early 2000s during the final destination years and i know what you did last summer there was a movie called idle hands with uh, devin sawa who apparently had a possessed hands that's a good movie (laughs) no it's not bad it's it was it was uh it was a goofy evil dead-esque like uh, goofball, com- like comedy horror. It was fine. Hey, can I remind everyone that Eric also was a huge Tom Green fan, and also the only man I know that owned a copy of Monkey Bone with Brendan Fraser. Oh, I've never <laughs> fucking seen Monkey Bone. I did own. I did own Freddy Got Fingered. You are right about that. <laughs> I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of. A lot of. Uh, I have a lot of to answer for, but I did never. I never owned Monkey Bone. Also, I mean, if anyone. <laughs> Chris Catan, Monkey Bone. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the movie The Faculty, I'm sure, as well. I don't Anyhow. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I knew I, by bringing that up, I knew Eric was going to have a commentary on that. So thank you for not uh, disappointing, Eric. You're always, always consistent. Uh-huh. Um, so Idle Hands. Um, this one had a music video. It had a. It was like a performance video. It had an androgynous figure uh, getting ready to go out to a club. Apparently, this is one of the only two official music videos that Murder City Devils ever did. The other one being 18 Wheels. Um, I didn't review that one. Um, but anyways, Idle Hands. Steven, is it the devil's work? It is. It's a good song. It's got a great chorus. The chorus is, these idle hands will do the devil's work, yeah. Um, uh, this might be uh, blasphemous, but this song's not... It's not bad, but it's not one of my go-tos for this band. Um, they play it every live show. It's a popular song. It was a single. It just doesn't. It, it doesn't blow my mind. Um, it's a song, kind of. Mark, maybe help me out with the lyrics here. I mean, essentially, what it's about being a dirtbag in a long-distance relationship. Is that it, or is it, has it got more more to it here? I think you're right. Met a girl from Austin, Dallas. Met a girl I won't soon forget her. Sat down to write her a letter. I wrote this song instead. So, yeah, I think I would say that's but, fair. But at the same way, there's some lines in the lyrics, and I'm not looking at them again, but I read through them when I did my album homework, where it kind of spins it and says, like, I don't blame you if you have idle hands, too. It doesn't say that, but it implies, like, I get it. This is, you know, this this cuts both ways kind of thing. Um, Yeah, it's just it's a pretty straight-ahead song. Um, There's a, some drum fills at about the 1 minute 42nd mark that in, injects some gravitas with the keyboard into the song that I like. I, uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Eric, I'm sure you got more than I, than I did here. Not really. Um, it's fun. If you hear, I, I think this song is a lot of fun. It makes sense. They picked it for their, uh, for their single, the video. If you want a little slice of what, like, uh, you know, indie fashion uh, from, you know, 2000, the early aughts, uh watch this video it's 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 definitely fun for that um it, remind, it reminds me of a time i uh uh went to uh streets of london a bar here in sacramento and a, a gr- there was a greaser guy inside and he asked me if i wanted to join his car gang because he, at, and i quote <laughs> your 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 uh your girl would look would look good next to a car and he was talking about my wife who <laughs> has bangs <laughs> i think <laughs> oh uh, my god yeah so i i got an invite to a very exclusive car gang and i and i at that time did not have a automobile um but anyways this song that's right uh, up, that's right up, that's that's right up there when i was uh when becky and i lived in san francisco not together we were dating but we didn't live together there's a lot of Traveling back and forth, a lot of walking around, a lot of buses in the city, getting to each other's places, a lot of walking together. Oh, we were so in love. I remember one time I was walking up, we were, we were walking up Hate Street together, and I told this guy, hey, man. Uh, what? No. Hey, man. I, I guess he's talking to me. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's a fine looking woman, man. <laughs> She's like <laughs> right next to me. And I was like, uh, yep, I know. And just... <laughs> it was I, I never felt the uh, whiter and just turned around and walked to her house. 
Oh, man. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys were spot on on the lyrical content of this. Um, it's it's a catchy little punk song. Um, if you're not feeling the for- their formula at this point, you're not going to get them. This is it boiled down to the probably the most consumable on the album, but also, like Steve said, one of the maybe less memorable but it's 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 definitely fun mark yeah i mean i i don't have any problem with this song whatsoever and i see what they were trying to do to potentially try to lure the people that were casual punk fans into um into what they were actually doing um to steve's point this is a pretty much a staple at all of their live shows I think on um, R.I.P. they actually had the lead singer of Botch sing on this one as well with them on that last track. I could be mistaken, but that's how I remember it. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's not a bad track by any means. I enjoy it. It it goes by so fast. Most of the songs go by so fast that uh, it's hard not to actually like it, dislike any of the songs on this record. But it doesn't have the weight, I would say, of some of the other ones, um, both musically and lyrically. Um, if you're gonna take yeah. a, if you're gonna take a song like this uh, musically, and like we said, Mercy Devils, we all we're talking about them because we love them and we don't expect them to be fucking King Crimson. But if you're gonna take a song like this musically, if you apply lyrics like uh, from the previous album, like something like Left Hand Right Hand, which has a little bit more weight to it a little just a little bit more just thought then it, it automatically comes up another notch and also but, about hands yes exactly but just this being about just a you know leaving leaving a girl or leaving a guy either way and the music's just kind of slight and you're just like all right all right let's get to the next track which is one of their best songs they ever wrote let's just let's just get through it Let's do it. I mean, um, I will say the video is not good. It's uh, it, it certainly does feel like an early 2000s video. The audience is disinterested in watching them perform. The band seems disinterested in uh, actually doing a music video. Um, but it seemed like a contractual obligation. So not a bad song by any means. I mean, there's worse songs that we've ever talked about on this podcast, but it's it's probably not the highlight of the record, but I wouldn't say that it's a bad song. I, I wouldn't mean, say I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't pull a. You know, this is not Lars Ulrich's dad from the Saint Anger uh, documentary looking at his son and telling him to delete it in regards to the whole <laughs> album they just recorded. But um, it's you know you can listen to it if you're would, listening. Do, if you're listening to this all the way through, uh, your foot will not stop tapping when this song comes on. And that's, I'm sure this enough, is some that'll be enough to get you through two minutes. This might be some people's favorite song by them. It might be. Um, I do want to say, though, that getting back to my comment about Empty Bottles, Broken Hearts, and uh, lyrical content, they wrote not uh, one but two songs inspired by the Night of the Hunter, I believe, which was the song Left Hand, Right Hand. Right, Eric? That's that's, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, then didn't they also have one called Deer Hearts, I think? And that's another phrase that's from that yeah. movie quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah, Deerheart. Yep. So yeah. that's a favorite movie of ours, maybe. I love it. And uh, this, they, yeah, they 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 went to, and that's those lyrical themes are the ones I love when Spencer Moody digs into that stuff. Uh, 
I can, I love the bar rooms. I mean, shit, I lived in one for many years. And if I didn't have kids, I'd probably still be there. As a matter of fact, actually, I stopped by the 7-Eleven today to get my kid a slushy. And the guy working the counter was talking to the guy in front of me. And he said, yeah, you know, last week I got off work and I went to just have a fucking whiskey and a game of pool. I woke up five hours later and I don't know what happened. And I lost $300. So uh, I don't miss those days. Anyhow, <laughs> those songs are fun, but the ones that go a little deeper are uh, a little funner for me. But uh, speaking of whiskey, let's talk about the next track. I mean, I think that uh, the next track, your your Seven Eleven um, clerk could have actually <laughs> been talking about this track. Yeah, he um, might have done it that, switched, that same night. <laughs> exactly. Um, apparently, he switched to rum to whiskey, and I think uh, uh, I, I think that that next track is going to talk about that. So let's talk about rum to whiskey. So that was uh, rum to whiskey. Uh, it's a uh, it's an equation that I don't necessarily recommend unless you are in for a uh, an interesting night, uh, a night where Stephen has probably switched from rum to whiskey, um, pre kids, pre wife, um, and but before we talk about what Steve's experience about switching rum to whiskey, let's talk about big old brass. Old uh, old night train, Eric. What was your experience sw- switching from rum to whiskey? Now, Eric, I'm going to let you go in a second because it's your turn. But I do want to say that uh, like four songs from now, there's a song that keeps talking about falling down at all the weddings and the holidays, and um, there's a theme here between that and your experiences with rum to whiskey. Oh, me personally. Is this the, yeah, you fall, you get drunk and fall over all the time. It's a fucking intervention. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, all right, uh, rum to whiskey. Uh, it's it, it starts off nothing but swagger, just a just a big dick hanging out, drums and organ playing. It's 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 it's, it's them doing what they do best. Um, the lyrics are. It starts off very sweet. She was the best thing that he ever had. Uh, she was the only decent thing in this good-for-nothing town. She was the prettiest girl in an ugly town, right? So they're recapping the relationship, and then sadness hits. Um, uh, you know, if it keep you from finding someone new, bang, bang, took her down. Murder shows up. So this is a, uh, it's a deep, rich romance that either falls into the fantasy of killing her so she can't love again, or actually doing it, doing that, um, which is is fucked up. Um, but in the storytelling sense, it's great. Uh, um, I think uh, we'll talk about the critical reviews later about a nerd that get just gets broken, that, that just gets you know uh, no attention from the ladies and is is broken up with. That's how the Pitchfork review describes 
uh, Spencer Moody. I think he's just telling a story. <laughs> uh, telling uh, us, yeah, it's not that at all. Jesus Christ, that review is ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a hell of a fucking song. The bang bang. Oh my god! If you're not throwing your arms in the air when that happens in the choruses, uh, you either are disabled, in which case I'm sorry I said anything, or you just you know you don't like to rock. Steven. Oh man, this song, this is one of their best songs. Uh, I'm sure everyone that's a fan of this band loves this song. This is just a centerpiece. I this is a song that I, I'm sure that I've put on repeat at times. Uh as soon as it's done, I'm ready to start it over again and hear those opening organs just coming in. It's a crowd favorite. The 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 rum to whiskey part is fun to 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 shout out loud. Um it's just uh, I. It's a great track. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it might be the, the lyrically. I mean, whatever. It's about a guy that either love goes wrong and he kills a lady, or you know, somebody storms in and kills the lady. Unfortunately, a lady dies. But uh, the, sonically, it's just a really good jam. Uh, the keyboards and the guitars are working together quite well. It's got a short guitar solo. They don't do those often, but they do it on this one. And, uh, yeah, that section where it just talks about, like, did it keep you from signing someone new? The guitar and the keyboard kind of dance with each other right there. It's nice. Uh, it's just, it's another evil surf song, like a lazy Sunday song with sinister vibes. I just, I dig it. That's, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite songs by then. If somebody was to tell me to put together a mixtape with them, this song goes, I front load it with this song somewhere. Uh, any any friend of mine that's a fan of this band, I'm sure they they've I've listened to this song with them and we've drunkenly pumped our fists. Rum to whiskey, it's a great one. It really is. I mean, um, Eric had uh, touched upon this with Leslie and the rhythm section, kind of doing a dance between the keyboard and the drums and bass on the intro, then the guitar bursts in. Um, when we're talking about switching from rum to whiskey uh, from Spencer. I mean, to me, it sounds like a murder ballad. It fit right in home in terms of what Nick Cave is all about. And the drunken rage and stupor, he killed the best thing in this godforsaken town. And not to mention, rum is seen as more of a party drink. You know, the good times. And then whiskey is more seen as something that hard men drink. And it it kind of shows like going from the good times to more serious times. And a lot of regret happening in this track. She was the best thing in this ugly town. Um, but still, in a drunken stupor, he... Put her down. And uh, to Stevens' point, this is a certainly a touchstone for what Murder City Ballads are all about. They're all about getting drunk and playing some rock and roll. And not to say in a sense of hedonism, but more on the dark side of things, about uh, when things go out of control. And... Um, it's a strong track for what they're all about. And Spencer really sells it with his musical singing style. 
I love this track. And to Stephen's point, it is certainly a a good descriptor of what Murder City Devils is all about. Love it. So we're all in agreement there. So let's take things down a notch and uh, sing a sweet ballad to those that we may have hurt and faulted as we talk about a Neil Diamond cover, All Come Running. So that was All Come Running, put right into the smack dab middle of this album. It's a sweet song, kind of wants to be a demarcation between what we've been through and what we're about to go through. Is this a faithful cover of what Neil Diamond was trying to present, or is this schmaltz that Murder City Devils should not even have attempted to dabble in? Eric. Tell me all about it. So, All Come Running is very faithful. Did you listen to the original version, Mark? I did. It's I did. fucking kind of. It's fucking kind of good. I like. It's great. I Neil great. Diamond is somebody that I never gave two thoughts about, but that original version is very cool. Like, I really liked it, uh, and and their cover is fantastic. Um. Uh. And you know what's funny is, and I will remember this, Steve had a documentary, and Murder City Devils, like, uh, it was like a tour documentary. Mostly it was behind-the-scenes stuff and then some live performances. And there's a whole thread through that that Spencer Moody loves Neil Diamond. Like, it's one of his favorites. And every time they're in a bar that has karaoke, he does Neil Diamond karaoke. So, like, this was not a ironic cover. This was... Uh, you know, his heart was in this. And um, they brought in uh, singer um, Kim Karnak from, uh, or sorry, Kim Warnack from the Fastbacks, which is a Seattle punk band, to uh, sing along with him. And it just feels like the guitar, the guitar work is very 60s, but it's very faithful to the original. And um, I, I, I think this is a touching song. I, I really like it. And I like the ghostly, uh, uh, Kim's ghostly backing vocals are great. I think it's awesome. Yeah, Steven, what do you got? What do you think? Oh, yeah, it's a good cover. Um, you know, that it's very, actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the backing vocals. You know what it really reminds me of is... Uh, uh, the height, you know, they say the golden era of television is uh, what, like uh, the Sopranos up through Breaking Bad now? Sure. But we all know that truly it was the early 90s. And this version of uh, Neil Diamond's All Come Running really reminds me of three teenagers sitting in a living room 
And Eric, what was that song that those three teenagers sang together? What, you, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> In Twin Peaks season two? Oh, God. Yes. Thank you. Uh, oh, my God. The, uh, the James Hurley song. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, oh. I, I, honestly, it's a much better version, but it always reminds me of that scene where they're sitting there and they're singing that song together. Uh, just, just you, just you, just you, just, just you. you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Anyhow, wow. uh, <laughs> just uh, you know, we're talking about the the band from the Northwest, the TV show from the Northwest, just gets that same scratch of the same itch. That's a good cover. Uh, my mom was a huge Neil Diamond fan. I have an affinity for him, but I hardly ever listen to him. I couldn't even, even when uh, Rick Rubin tried to do the Johnny Cash thing with him, I couldn't even just I'm like, ah, whatever, Neil. But uh, this song is good. And I love that song about giving your last shirt to undo the hurt. There you are. Yeah. I mean, to Eric's point, I think the original is great. Um, Murder City Devils manage a very faithful version but they seem to manage to put a kind of a drunken kind of uh, whimsical spin on it. Um, something that you would put like in a karaoke bar, like what Eric was saying. Um, or, or also just the guy singing it's sad. Like it just sounds like you're like, oh my God, get over it, guy. Right. Like you can imagine this guy singing it to himself. Exactly. Um, and not to mention where there's some disconnection earlier in the record. This actually says, maybe I fucked up. Maybe I'll come running to you. Um, and I've realized, you know, the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, it lands right in the middle of the record. It slows things down. Um, I think it's a perfect demarcation between first half to the second half. And I just see it as a kind of a drunken sing-along. Um, There's not a sloppy rendition. It's just more of a sweet rendition. So I give it my seal of approval. I think it's good. I think it's really good. Um, and I had no idea, actually, going into this, uh, into this episode, I actually thought it was a Murder City Devils original because nowhere on the record, in the liner notes, maybe I didn't study them far enough, that it was credited to being a Neil Diamond cover. And it was only you guys that pointed that out. I was like, is it? Okay. I, oh, all right. And, you know, it wasn't done with any sense of irony. It was done, it was done with a lot of um, love and caring. And, yeah, it could, uh, it, could, it could fit right in. Yeah. It, it fit right in. So, um, instead of belaboring what Neil Diamond did and how Spencer Moody and the Murder City Devils faithfully rendered it. Let's talk about the back half of the disc and no better way to start it off with Demon Brother. <laughs>
so that was Demon Brother. I think personally it almost acts as if it was a second opening track. It's a great way to start it off if you were to flip the vinyl. Um, but before I get into my personal feelings, I think Steven needs to weigh in on Demon Brother. Well, I agree with you. This song is powerful, man. This is a top five Mercy Devil song. A sleeper hit, if you ask me. I don't know how all the other fans feel, but I love it. It's a... Uh, like, I think at every live show, that you could close the show. You could close the encore with this song. And they did not. But you could close the encore with this song, and I think it's an awesome way to close a show. It's just uh, the rave up with the guitars and the, the jabbing and the keys getting into this then sexy Izzy Stradlin type guitar Guns N' Roses riff. Again, it gets me back to the early Guns N' Roses sound that I like. And uh, season four, you can't get here quick enough where we go through all the Guns N' Roses albums. You know you want to do it. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, like coming down on the scene of a train wreck. It's just... The, the, the song manages to build itself up, fall apart again, and then build itself up and just start rocking. And it's just got this uh, guitar lick that you just can't beat. This I just uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, I, I don't know if my mouth guitar skills are what they used to be, but this this track really deserves them. Too many drinks and too much John Wayne. It's a fantastic track. Eric, just you're gonna agree with me, right? Uh, oh hell yeah! Uh, a couple notes I said is like, just like you said, you called it the rave up. I called it the build up. It's probably the most rock and roll moment on this album. Um, the riff just goes uh, goes absolutely supernova, um, and then uh, uh, the rest of the song just feels familiar, but in a in a good way. Um, I just imagine Steve. Uh, Steve just air guitaring, shredding in our 15th and V apartment while we drink our roommate Matt's uh, rum. Uh, I imagine that happening with this particular thing. Uh, yeah, the song itself is about, um, you know, uh, uh, are you a devil or my demon brother? Uh, it's going to take a, lot, a long time to wash your hands of this. It's uh, basically like uh, somebody's Mr. Hyde comes out when his girl uh, uh, does him dirty and um, it's a warning song that his girl should leave town because if his Mr. Hyde comes out, it's going to be trouble. And uh, once again, a little aggressive, uh, but uh, dangerous. And that's what rock and roll is. It feels like, uh, you know, a very real kind of devil story and, uh, and the duality. Uh, of course, if the duality means you're just chill until you drink a bunch of whiskey and watch uh, the fucking searchers, um, and, ah. and, uh, <laughs> that's that's the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this song has uh, fucking swagger for days. Uh, the way that it starts off, uh, it's just like the band is coming out for the encore. Well, just like you had said, Stephen. Um, it's a great way to start that second half. It's a, it's a song that I feel that Danzig is jealous that he didn't write. Yep, even um, the name, the name, the name, Demon Brother, right there. Right, um, like coming on the scene of a train wreck. Fuck, that's such a cool fucking line. It's and a, um, it's a, lyric, it's a lyric that my my son would love too. Who 
again this weekend just obsessed over watching train wreck videos on YouTube. He's a strange, <laughs> strange goddamn child. Hey, everyone's got their fascinations. Um, and then too many drinks in John Wayne. Fuck. I mean, fucking great. Uh, so good. The song title, though, is likely a reference um, to a Kenneth Anger short film titled Invocation of My Demon Brother. It had music composed by Mick Jagger, and he also appeared in this short film. It's from 1969, which apparently was also assembled from scraps of this other film that Kenneth Anger did called Lucifer Rising. Ah. If you ask me, Demon Brother and Lem- the next track are almost brothers and sisters. They were. They were birthed. They were birthed from the same whale. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Demon Brother, holy shmo- smokes. Like, um, once that second half of the record kicks off, it, it never lets up. Never lets up. And um, I'm a huge, huge fan. And I can see the Guns N' Roses rock and roll reference of that kind of that guitar squeal as things kind of ramp up and everyone's kind of joining in. Mm. The song gives me the fucking chills. So good. So good. Um, But with that, instead of Lucifer rising, let's talk about Lemuria rising. So Lemuria Rising, um, that is uh, just a little background. Lemuria is a fabled lost island, kind of along the same lines of Atlantis. According to legend, it was situated in the Indian Ocean. Uh, Lemuria sunk into the, uh, the sea, and its uh, remnant of it is Madagascar. Uh, Lemuria was named because of supposition that was the original home of the lemurs. Great films, those Madagascar films, I tell you. <laughs> they're they're highly entertaining. Those penguins, man. They they know how to land a joke. <laughs> but uh, Eric, tell me all about your your impression of Lemuria rising. Well, this one this one does have a bit to dig into lyrically. Um so this does tie into the last song because he says, you know, uh, it starts out like when I was 12 years old, crying over homework, I would have slipped my wrist if it wasn't for rock and roll. And it's just the way it's done is like this, uh, like just really just kind of very earnest tribute to, you know, how rock and roll can can save you when you're not feeling the routine, the kid, the, the go to school, get a job like that, that whole routine. When you're not feeling it, rock and roll can be your your savior. And, and, and that's great. And then he he does a lot of references in the song, and you know he does say in the spirit of Kenneth Anger. I mean, what I say in Kenneth Anger, as as Mark uh, uh, dutifully put pointed out, is a director who he was a huge influence on John Waters and David Lynch. He did short films. He did a movie called Invocation of Demon Brother, as we talked about. He also did a movie called Lucifer Rising and a movie called Scorpio Rising. 
So this song feels right at home there. And then he says, in the spirit of Eddie Spaghetti, we do what we do. Eddie Spaghetti was in the Super Suckers, which is another Seattle, uh, you know, punk band. And uh, our guest guitarist on this track, Ron Heathman, was also from the Super Suckers. So that was a very meta reference. Um, Holy shit. It's just, it it picks up on the rock shreds from Demon Brother and just carries them over. Um, You know, the shredding on this this song is absolutely out of sight. Uh, It's a blast. And it just, I, I think that he's using his references into like weird pop culture that he likes to try to show what kind of saved him as a kid and um, done in a very simple, simple way, uh, but it effectively, I think, and, and great, good song. I'd like to, to talk about the Lemuria for a second. I didn't even fucking put this together, but Lemuria has to be connected to the Lemurians. Correct. Have you guys heard oh, of the, the Lemuria? I, I, no, tell me. Are they the ones that, 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 that live in the, uh, in Mount Shasta? Exactly, but the Lemurians are tied to the uh, the 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 Atlantis of some sort, and I never even heard of Lemuria, but Lemuria and the Lemurians it has to be tied together. And yes, these are the uh, the aliens or creatures that live inside Mount Shasta that my grandfather spoke of and my great grandmother actually believed in. And uh, I do want to bring up right now that my great or I'm sorry, my grandfather, who I do adore, but he was brainwashed by Rush Limbaugh many years ago. And uh, I have evidence that the house he grew up in, in Shasta, uh, he doesn't live there anymore. He doesn't live in Shasta anymore. Uh, somebody drove by there recently, and they put a diorama outside of a, 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 a caged Donald Trump with a, a word balloon saying, like, you Tretoria senators, you're, cat, you're spineless. I should be in jail. So it's, uh, it's amazing the place he grew up in has taken such a 180 uh, heel turn for him. Anyhow. That's in Shasta, and Mount Shasta is where the Lemurians live, allegedly. And uh, the song is pretty, it's kind of meat and potatoes musically, despite the song title, which is very exotic. But I, I, like, I like a good rock and roll song that's about rock and roll, and that's what this is, uh, as Eric said. This is, uh, you know, this, is, this is him talking about if rock and roll wasn't around, I wouldn't have gotten through it. But I'm Spencer Moody, so I'm also going to bring up Virginia Woolf. So there you go. There's a lot of references in this track. We've got Kenneth Anger, Virginia Woolf, uh, Eddie Spaghetti, um, Lemuria as well. Um, But I think that he's masking it as a very personal, like I would have slipped my wrist if it wasn't for rock and roll. And, you know, a lot of artists who are probably like weird in in terms of feeling weird and feeling um, like they don't belong, like the outsider feeling and if it wasn't for kind of the accepting nature of what rock and roll really does provide, that you necessarily wouldn't be able to survive. And I know that the three of us have felt those feelings at some times, and music has been an incredible outlet and a savior um, for making sure that we're not feeling so alone. And it has connected us, and it has, connect, and it, and has created friends by being able to talk about such things. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for music. So I understand that sentiment and being able to maybe spot check and reference some of those uh, inspirations of how you want to live your life. Virginia Woolf being a very, uh, a person who was famed for having a very sharp tongue 
um, being very outspoken, being very truthful. Uh, Kenneth Anger, who was experimental and didn't give a fuck about being part of the mainstream, but yet went on to influence a lot of other directors and filmmakers that Eric referenced. And of course, Eddie Spaghetti, who clearly a band that I've never really paid attention to, the Super Suckers, but he seemed to be someone who just didn't give a fuck. There's a lot of this personality. He sounds like a character from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Exactly. Um, So being able to live within those conventions of, you know, these people who uh, were successful in their own right, but not having to feel anchored by having to be accepted by the mainstream and just be comfortable in their own skin. So got to hand it to somebody who just name checks that. Cause I think that's a very identifiable um, feeling for a lot of people who uh, listen to alternative music and especially rock and roll music. So Lemuria rising. It's uh it's a good track. And um I I like what it's being, what's being said here. So um, let's talk about the one that got away by talking about somebody else's baby. That was Somebody Else's Baby, track nine. And I know that we've all had those feelings of that love that was lost, whether it's a relationship that just kind of fell apart, whether it through organically or through our own feelings or even their own feelings. Um, But Eric, I think it's your turn. Tell me about Somebody Else's Baby. Yeah, you got it. This is uh, definitely one of the more heartbroken songs on here um if you're enjoying um our the organ work uh what was the name of our of our organ player leslie hardy yes if you're enjoying leslie's work she has a ton to do on this song she's all over the place in a great way um and uh yeah the song is like uh uh I love the line that like the only love, the only uh, love is love lost. And uh, basically like, well, if that's true, then people like me and you get our share of love. And it's just stewing over lost loves. Um, and uh, you just, you know, there's a line in there where he's basically has the choice to be, you know, he has to, uh, let's just be friends after a breakup. Um I think uh, analyzing that lyric gets you into the, like there is some 
really negative places that goes as far as like the friend zone and that that that's a in some insult shit there but what he's kind of talking about here is you know you love you so much that you love or you love this person so much that when you move on and you wake up in somebody else's arms and somebody else's bed you're still thinking of that previous relationship and um and yeah that unfortunately just just being friends isn't going to work because i can't you know can't stop thinking about you it's a it's a beautiful uh heartbreaking song uh heart sick um and uh, uh once again i as a i feel like the organ work on this album is top notch mark i'm sure you're gonna make some doors connections and this one it's uh cats on the keyboard uh but in this case it's on the organ Steve, yeah, the, the the lyrics aren't the lyrics aren't nearly uh, acid doused enough to be a, a Jim Morrison song, but yeah, the uh, the organ work certainly. Uh, yeah, Stephen, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, Steve? it's a good it's a good song. Um, you know, I uh, I don't want to go into details, but I'm sure that someone broke my heart at one point, and I sent them this song. This is, I couldn't have been the only guy that did that. It's a terrible, terrible decision to make. But it, it's some, some sad bastard out there was like, oh, man, this is just, I need to let her know how I'm feeling, and I'm going to send her this song somehow, be it via email or burnt CDR. I apologize on behalf of all the idiots that would have done such a thing uh, before Obama was president. But, uh, yep, this is a good heartbreak song, and we've all been there. We've all actually, you know, woken up in, in bed with some uh, some bimbo or himbo and thought, what am I doing? God damn it. And you're thinking about the other person. I think it conveys that very well. And Leslie Hardy's, uh, her keyboard work on this one has a sense of, you know, she doesn't use a whole lot of, it's, it all sounds like a church organ on this goddamn album. But she manages to pick the right path of, uh, I don't know, finger plucking and and whatever that can uh, you translate that to for keyboards to to get across the feeling that you need to have and the the sense of uh being bummed out about a heart a broken heart really is conveyed well in here i it's a, it's a good song i like it uh the i woke up in someone else's arms the delivery of that with the organ dancing around it it's uh it's done well she is the mvp on this track yeah i agree with both of you on that um you know, this is the one that got away song, not so much like fucking up and just getting into bed with anybody else. I, I treat it as someone that, uh, because you have such intense feelings for another person, it's hard to shake that subconsciously. And sometimes those feelings will, uh, present themselves either through dreams or through just nostalgia now, you know, we all are in happily married uh, relationships. We all love our wives and we all love our families. But there are times where, you know, I wake up and I have dreams about my exes where I had intense feelings about. And it's not like I want to go back to that, but I do understand what he, it's being said here. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, did you get all that, Jen? All right, good. All right. <laughs> Well, I'm, record, sure, Mark. <laughs> I'm sure that she has them herself. Um, but I, I, I mean, when I wake up for me personally, I'm happier with the situation that I'm in now than I was then. Oh yeah. Well, uh, and also, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, like you settle down. The phrase "settle down" in itself reflects what it means. And you're with this person that, when you were younger, and in our cases, all three of us, we fell madly in love with. We're still madly in love with these people. But when you think back about the younger emotions, when you when you were younger, when you're well. I'm still a beast in bed, gentlemen, but when your libido was a little more raging, if you know what I'm saying, you know, like back then, back when you were younger, uh, a breakup was, the, oh, my God, the world is ending. Holy Christ. And this this song kind of conveys that, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, what is conveying in this song is maybe someone that hasn't settled down, that is kind of rebounding from relationship to relationship, but still kind of longing for that lost love. Um, and now that they have moved on and essentially someone else's baby and you're just kind of bouncing between different experiences in order to try to shake that, but you're still not able to, and only thinking about that lost love. That's not something that I personally can identify with, but what I can personally identify with is people that I've had intense feelings for. I wouldn't necessarily know if that was the same love that I feel for, you know, my, my wife, but I would say that there was intense feelings as I was learning how to deal with my emotional evolution. And I'm sure that you guys can probably relate to that. And that's how I relate to this personal song. Um, good track. It's not sh- uh, schmaltzy by any means. And um, Leslie Hardy's keyboard playing is certainly the MVP. It's a good. It's a good part of the record that she shines. Um. So, without really getting into a discussion on that topic, I think we should see what it's like to go back to our hometown and relive some of those bad memories by listening to the song "In This Town." in this town is like I had said it really conveys going back to your hometown and being reminded of all those bad memories as, as Steve had talked about earlier falling down at all the weddings and holidays um, and I feel that uh, both all three of us can really relate to that but I want to first hear what Eric has to say about in this town What's it like going back to Orange Vale? <laughs> All right. Well, musically, this thing starts out in, in the beginning. It, it has a Bay, Bay Area punk sound when it starts. Um, this this maybe is 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 dipping its toes in its punk roots the most. Uh, it starts out kind of talking about this town and it, in happy terms, and then the shame comes in. This is this is waking up after. Uh, a 
a uh, night on the town where you drank way too much and immediately texting everybody anxiously to make sure you didn't do anything stupid. Uh, this is the, every face in this town reminds me of something I'd rather forget. Just you've been in a town too long and you've got so many drunken, embarrassing moments and you're still very, you know, you're still at that point where you're cognizant of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, identify i absolutely do identify with 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 some of that um we've all had our 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 nights we've all had our uh mixing whiskey with uh 18 beers that we shouldn't have done and you know uh doing a lot of laundry the next morning um (laughs) but The song itself, though, is is catchy and it's it's a fun little rock song. I have more to say about the lyrical content than the actual music of it, but uh, I, I yeah, I definitely enjoy it. Um, that's all I gotta say. Stephen, oh yes, falling down at all the weddings and holidays, and sure, we've all had our times where we drank a little too much on this podcast. Not all of us. I I hope that some of our listeners are. Living life clean and sober. Good for you. But uh, on this podcast, we have a Dick Van Dyking son of a bitch. That's one of our co-hosts. And this song always makes me think of him. And I'm not going to call him out my name, but I can just think of the stairs at uh, my Q Street house that I rented. Uh, the yellow the yellow house that we rented before uh, I got married. Uh, my mom's deck in the back. He fell off that one time. Uh, when this podcast first started, we all got together at his house and he fell through his own screen door. (laughs) 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 Anyhow, the song's clearly about Mark. Uh, that's what I have to say about this song. Mark, what do you think about this track? (laughs) Oh man, I know. Um, (laughs) out of the three of us, uh, yeah, there, there's, (laughs) there's big old brass that is all over this record um, or this, this particular song. Um, I don't think that uh, any of one of us regrets uh, spending time with the three of us. Um, it's just that sometimes when we go hard, we, we go all the way, whatever's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, it, and it, <sighs> while murder city devils generally love to get into the spirits of things and to kind of talk about, you know, getting on those, uh, streetlights and howling at the moon. Um, I feel like all three of us have done that at some point. Um, it just, whenever the one of us tends to <laughs> turn into the werewolf, it is always a good time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I will say that this song is it's a good indication of kind of that drunken punk rock uh just swinging from the rafters uh spirit that I that I do enjoy. So, yeah. That's in this town. And <laughs> this is not a <laughs> This is not an uh what is that uh, what is that called, Eric? Uh, an intervention, a, Jesus an Christ. Intervention, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, 
good track. So walking, I think it's walking through his own screen door. <laughs> I think it's a Creedence song. <laughs> I wasn't even drunk at that point. That was just I was just so excited to see Steven's face that when the doorbell rang, I ran. I was, oh, he's here! And I ran right through yeah. the screen door. <laughs> like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Mark was to just my saying, Eddie Valiant. Mark that makes was sense. howling with laughter. <laughs> you know, Mark, Mark, uh, I'm Eddie Valiant. Uh, Eric is Roger Rabbit, and Mark is Judge Doom. This is how it all fits together. <laughs> uh, that's how it works. <laughs> um, but I think it's time to uh, check in on our sailors, who have a lot to sing about no grave but the sea. was the penultimate track no grave but the sea um uh, steven tell me about every time that you put your oars in your waters that's interesting that's an interesting phrase every time i put my oars in her waters that's uh that's loaded seems like a metaphor uh it's not the title track in name but it's the title track in verse or blood if you will they do say uh in name and blood in this this song um it's a good, it's a good, I think it's a cool song to stick right here because the last song is kind of a, a dirge, not the right word, but the last song is, it's, it's heavy, it's a meal. This song's kind of just like one more rocker to get you through, and um, it, it's what they do good. It's uh, It's got some good surf, surf organ with some good surf guitar type riffage. Uh, it's just not even a three minutes long song, like blast of rock and roll. Before you get into the last song, which kind of takes things down a step and has uh, Spencer Moody howling like a wolf again, uh, it 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 gets back to the water motif. Name no grape but the sea, sure, but also Bonnie and Hawkins. They name check these two guys. They were actual pirates. Uh, one of them, uh, I think, the movie uh, Space Treasure Island by Disney actually was a you had one of these guys in it. I don't think it's the same guy that Spencer was referring to, but I think they named that character after the same person that Spencer's talking about. Jim Hawkins is from Treasure Island. Yes. He's the he's They're... the boy that becomes uh, the cabin boy, yeah, for Long John Silver. Did he become who? What was the name of the cabin boy in Cabin Boy? Uh, Chris Elliott. <laughs> great, great I meant, the, I, I meant, I meant, great I meant the character's name, and I know, great I know, film. it's a, it's 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 great an film. Eric choice. Anyhow, well, it's a, no great but the sea. It's about pirates dying in the sea. It's a rocker. It's the last, second to last song. It's so good. I, I'll, I'm just gonna piggyback on you there. Yes. So he's talking about you know 
uh, I do it for the sailors who have no grave with the sea. Like where I sing for you when nobody else can. Um, it's just that very much like I'm married, you know, you know, it's that whole, like, uh, Max Fisher is married to the sea, uh, that whole thing. Um, and yeah, he, he sings Jim Hawkins to you and Bonnie and Jim Hawkins, of course, as we just said, was the cabin boy from treasure Island and Bonnie was the most successful female pirate of all time. She's actually got an incredible history. I urge you to read it. And Spencer Moody, when I was living up in Seattle area, Tacoma was the ugly stepsister of Seattle, but I was living up there. Spencer Moody ran a antique shop called the Ann Bonnie, and it was a junk shop or, you know, antique shop, um, which is, has since closed down. Um, but I, I, I love the Ann Bonnie reference. Um, and, uh, you know, Married to the Sea, are you running from your problems to, that sends you out there? It's just great subject matter. It's it's pretty much a it's 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 a heater on this album. It's 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 got some it's got some drive. There's a great like riff and organ matching each other post chorus, and uh, I, uh, I I enjoy this song. That bass line that starts off this track is uh, from another world. I really like that. Um, so this song um, checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, great bass line. Uh, I too have a maritime or nautical kind of fascination. Um, I don't know if that's my Disney Pirates of the Caribbean feeling going on here, but I, I do like pirate lore. Um, with head, heart, hands, and name and blood. That is, that is a cool fucking line. This is a line that I'm sure that is tattooed on many a person, uh, many a Murder City Devils fan. Um, every time I put my oars in your water, yes, that certainly sounds pretty damn sexual. I won't lie. Uh, kind of like how when we talked about our Deadkin, uh, Deadkin dance, uh, Sisters of Mercy episode, uh, where uh, the water, the hallway, all that was kind of a sexual reference. Uh, it's hard not to to see that this could potentially have a double meaning. But on the face of it, the superficial face of it, you know, the sailors having uh, no other place to die but the sea, no other grave, um, that imagery, that theme, it, it really works for me on a lot of different levels. Um, I, too, have a fascination with those folks in that time period that were like, I'm going to live my most of my life and live my life at sea. And these people that I can see at an arm's length are the only people that I'm ever going to interact with. That's, that's some courage, especially seeing how we're in the pre-industrial era where don't have a lot of technology. It's just the stars in your own heart and head to, to guide you. So I don't know. It, it is one of those things that I would never do, but I can say that I have a, a deep fascination. Some people really are fascinated by dinosaurs and cowboys and the Wild West. I personally like the the whole pirate lore, and um, this feels right at home for me. So no grave but the sea. Um, I love this track. It's a good track, and it seems to also telegraph dead low tide, but. What do I know? 
I feel like Spencer Moody should have been an extra in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but maybe when Margot Robbie takes on the cap- captain's helm in the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie, maybe he'll show up. Who knows? Um, I, I so imagine him with two monocles instead of his glasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. is, that, is, that, is that a real thing? Is she actually going to be in the next Pirates movie? Yeah. I, I don't know if they're taken away from Johnny Depp full time because of all of this Amber Heard nonsense, but uh, apparently she'll be the new main character. Well, when we say nonsense, we mean that we are pretty sure that uh, Johnny Depp's a, a dirtbag, but yes. I don't think there's any winners in that story. That's all I'll say. So Amber Heard, she seems like a bad person. Johnny Depp also seems like he's got some skeletons in his closet. So no winners in that story. We just know way too much about whatever was happening in the in yeah. that wine cellar. Exactly. Exactly. It sounds like a Murder City Devil song. That's right. Lemuria rising in that relationship right there. So I think it's time we close out this record with Fields of Fire. That was Fields of Fire, not to be confused with uh, our season one, Nine Inch Nails, Fields on Fire. We got Fields of Fire. So, Stephen, tell me, are your fields on fire? That's a good song, that Nine Inch Nails song. It really is. Yeah, this is a, this song, the whole album kind of comes together in this track. Uh, it, it's And it seems like the album opens up with the press gang, which I think nods towards the Lima. And I think this track does too. It's a little bit uh, weightier in the subject matter and the longing. And it's uh, a little bluesier, a little slower. Um, this, could al- this could almost be a, a Washingtonian mate of theirs, Mark Lanigan type song. It's, uh, it's just, it's got more to say. And I mean, don't kindle your wrath against me. Oh Lord. That's a, that's a hell of a line. Don't kindle your wrath against me. It's all about a guy just dropping to his knees and begging God not to fuck him over. And, uh, well, if you believe in God, but that seems like a good way to go. Um, again, this is that, that gothic Americana side coming out that I like when the emergency devils uh, touch on that. Uh, it's, it, it's basically like five minutes of somebody promising to quit whatever the hell they're doing if God promises to bail them out one more time. But it's just really mournful and sad sounding the entire way through. The the guitar itself sounds m- and mournful. You've got Spencer Moody wailing, and then you've got the guitar going bow, 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 and it's it's wailing too. 
it's a perfect marriage of content and musicality. It's it's great. It's uh the guitar sounds like a beaten dog just just wailing. And it sounds about as sad as Spencer Moody does on it. I think it's a great way to close the record out, and I think it could be a song that's right at home on their next EP. Eric, tell me. Are you uh, praying to God to make sure that they don't uh, set your fields on fire? Oh yeah, Steve. Steve. Steve has this 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 song thematically down one hundred percent. Don't kindle your wrath against me. You know, don't don't burn my fields. Uh, he feels uh, persecuted by God and bad luck, and there's pending doom, and he's he's pleading for just. Let that things be okay for a while. I love the uh and I'll change. We go to church. We go to church on Sunday. And we're back. We're back drinking on Monday. It's a great lyric. It's a, once again, Spencer Moody is the uh very uh simple lyrics, but good and a lot like very quotable, quotable lyrics. He's great. Um yeah, I mean, it's the song is somehow pathetic and triumphant at the same time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's, oh, Lord, he's screaming. But then the guitar's in the background, like the the riffs make it elevate it past, you know, how how desperate the lyrics are. Um, It's a great closer and uh, top notch. Oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's me, Eric, and welcome to the Intern's Lair. Uh, thanks for coming by for a quick tour. Um, yo, let's head on in, shall we? This, as you can see, is my humble abode. Nothing too fancy. Um, of course, uh, we have one room upstairs where the wife and two children are relegated to, while I get the downstairs for the show. Um, it was uh, in my contract that I needed to make sure there was proper space. It hasn't done a lot for uh, my marriage, but uh, does the trick for the show. Well, let's check in on the guys, shall we? Yeah, that's right. We keep our Zooms on all day long, so we can just keep tabs on each other. Um, or they can make sure I'm always working. Uh, let's see. Let's see what Mark's up to. Oh, looks looks like he's, um, you know, helping his kids learn through a little distance learning there. What are, what are, they, what are they learning about? Drew Goofy was the inspiration for Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> kids it's true all of it pay attention jack okay let's see what's uh let's see what steve's up to what stop him what is no he's going to for the you goddamn he's going to the second oh damn it wilson your uncle's a Ah, listen to the crack of the bat. He must be enjoying a, a baseball game. Yeah, this is my uh, my editing studio, as you can see. They they got me hard at work. I got all sorts of fun gadgets and <laughs> gizmos and 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 oh yeah, see these little whirly dudes. <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's we have fun here. Um, but oh no, the internet it's uh, it's out. I better go restart my router. Uh, hold on a second. Let me just. Uh. Well, well, it's not that. Uh, let me just go out here to the livestock. Okay, hey, nope. Alfalfa, I need you to go. I need you to go on, get. I need you to run around that, run around that barrel there. Get that, that string pulled nice and tight. Go, go, run, run. All right, we're back in business. Anyways, listeners, that's the, uh, the, uh, the intern's lair. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like 
your friends at Pod Like the Hole to have internet that's a little bit better than whatever you just witnessed there. It's patreon.com slash pod like a hole. Anything helps. Yeah, it really is top notch. I mean, um, maybe I have no evidence to prove it, but I would say that also Nick Cave um, is also an influence on this band. This seems like a very Nick Cavian song. Ah, a couple times when I saw them, they they close the birthday party cover. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So we know that there's evidence that uh, Spencer and the rest of Murder City Devils have certainly dabbled into the Nick Cave world. And this one seems to be of that ilk. Um, You guys definitely uh, said it best by being able to sin throughout the work week, you know, start drinking on Monday, but back to church on Sunday. Um, It, uh, it certainly seems like a a thematic thing that goes throughout Nick Cave's career and having it brought here is, uh, I think apropos because of what we had just listened to Um, someone that likes to kind of carouse and cavort through the, through the week by drinking and slurring and cussing and rock and rolling. And, but uh, please don't take away the thing that's giving me my uh, source of living. Uh, In this sense, he's equating to a farmer living on the land and maybe it's someone that's trying to make their way through rock and roll. Like even though that they're doing their fair share of sinning, Please don't take away the thing that's putting bread on the table. So with that, that is Fields of Fire. Great epic track. And I see the telegraphing towards bigger and better things as they are learning to develop and expand their sound. Uh, So there it is. Before we get into our personal ratings of this, for the most part, people love this record. Um, Fans, critics alike think that this is a high watermark for Murder City Devils, generally receiving four out of five stars, uh, maybe even five out of five. But there's one publication on the internet that disagreed with me, that disagreed with us, potentially. That would be Pitchfork Media. In 2000, they reviewed this record, and I urge all of our listeners to take a take a look at that rec- uh, uh, review and see how it essentially compares to what we say. They gave it a 3.1 out of 10, which is <laughs> not good. <laughs> but it's, not very good. Much, it's very much, it's very much like Pitchfork at the time. And now Pitchforks, they've always been snooty, but at that time they were definitely trying to be like the internet blogosphere, music reviewosphere was still figuring out what it was supposed to be back then. And they definitely were kind of doing what the uh, Republican Party does now, which is just troll. They were just trolling. And you'd read a review for that album. You'd read uh, the review for The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. And it was just badly written, badly edited, just bashing of bands, trying to look cool. And I'd imagine if some of the uh, the writers from that website today went back and looked at that and, and gave it a new critical reassessment, it would be a bit more uh, cohesive and appropriate. But yeah, Michael that reviews, Sandlin. Uh, Michael Sandlin will call you out. What are you doing with your life right now? Yeah, what are you doing today? Are you at the Mountain Mikes? 
<laughs> I mean, but I mean, I mean the, pr- the proof's in the 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 proof, gentlemen, is in the pizza. I mean, the uh, the fragile review was terrible from when it first came out, and then when they re-released the album with the uh, what was that called? The like the definitive like yeah, yeah the definitive whatever the deviations. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever the, like that guy was like, this is one of the greatest albums of all time, and uh, Pitchfork.com totally loves this record, and they did a total 180. And it's just back then, I just think the internet was just a. It wasn't as much of a cesspool as it is now because now the internet actually tries to overthrow democracy, but back then it was just like everybody's asshole old, older brother, and it really comes across in that review. Yeah, that review, um, it is something, and I will make sure to link it in the show notes just so that way everyone has a framework of what we're talking about. I don't want to read everything verbatim on air, but I will say that uh, when I read this after <laughs> after just kind of doing some research and I shared it with the rest of the guys, I was like, this is the worst fucking review I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, the weirdest part is is the writer seems to be hung up on their name, Murder City Devils, and the uh, maybe the album artwork where they're all bloody and dead. They're so confused why every song is not about blood and murder. Like, like they, like they literally hold that against Murder City Devils that every song is not about murder, and uh, that's a weird. I guess it's a weird vibe, but yeah. Yeah, it's something. Um, well, with that, I would like to know what you guys have to say about this. Um, so, out of uh, five skull and crossbones, what would you give in name and blood, Eric? Uh oh, fuck. Uh, this one's gonna get. The uh, the elusive five out of five for me. This one is just too uh, too ingrained in nostalgia and good feelings and hanging out with Steve and Mark over uh, many a few decades. Yeah, it's it's too ingrained. I find that fascinating because for that reason is the same reason I gave it a three. It is steeped in nostalgia. It is good. It has a lot of good memories to it. But when I listen to it with a critical ear, it's good for what it's doing, but it's not great. Yeah. And so even though I, uh, you know, I, I swear by this band, I love this band. I don't know if they ever made a great album. They made a great EP. They made an EP that was so great. Uh, I think, guys, we should, we should, we should set some time aside and, and record a, a track by track of Thelema, real quick when we're done here. No, what do you say? Yeah, I'm for that. I mean, I, I I absolutely love this band, and I would be more than willing to talk more about this band. And for that reason, um, I'm kind of in the Eric uh, camp. I give it a five out of five. Skull and Crossbones. Um, maybe it is the nostalgia factor, but every time that I listen to this record, this is a just an, a wall-to-wall banger for me. So the guy, the guy that the guy that borrowed a couple hundred bucks from his best friend to fly up to Seattle is the one that gives the lowest score. That's uh, that's fascinating. It's <laughs> fucking extremely telling. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I am actually surprised at your 3.0 score. Wow. I thought that um, you would be one of the folks that would be giving this a straight either 4.75 at the at the lowest, and maybe even a five. 
because this this band this album uh, means so much to me. Now, um, now, I, if, I, would, if, I would bring this on a desert island. If if Devin Townsend was playing those guitar solos, Steve would <laughs> <laughs> knock that up to a five, no doubt. Well, but that's the you know what? That's why we're gonna let's still roll the dice tonight, for God's sakes. But that let's let's set some time aside to talk about the Lima next. It'll take us a half hour. That's five songs, six songs, whatever the hell it is, six songs, right? Um, right. I'd like to talk about the Lima because I think, uh, so you know, I don't have to prove myself to you guys or the audience that I love this band, but I think when you listen to Thelema, you really get everything they could do. They 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 broke up right before they shouldn't have, if you ask me. Um, I'm sticking by my three, my three. Wow, that's low. Well, it's, it's not it's, low at all. It's, it's, it's good. It's better than better than better than half. I'm I'm, I'm shocked. It's better than bad. Yeah, <laughs> better than bad. It's good. It's log. It's it's a long well, it's story. Also, we, yeah, better than bad. It's good. It's also <laughs> another reason why we should have expanded ourselves back to the uh, one out of ten. But oh well, we're we're in this to win it now. Um, uh, what, uh, roll the dice, Eric. All right. All right. So for this next roll, uh, Eric and Stephen will be nominating our next album and artist. Yeah. It's either going to be The Clash or Willie Nelson. Let's find out. And for that? Well, it is a hot, hot four. A low number. Hot early. Four. Early album. Oh, man. This is uh, one of our earliest that we've done. So from February 10th, 1978 an album and band nominated by Steve. We are going to put our leather on as we talk about Judas Priest Stained Class. Yes, here we are. Let's see. Something somehow transitioning from Murder Sea Devils into Judas Priest just makes sense. Oh, that's great. All right. I can't wait for all of us to squeeze into our leather pants. It's, it's great. That's yeah. This will be your. I, I I love I love some Priest. I haven't I haven't given the full album treatment before, so this will be great. I listen I listen to Priest all the time already. This is this is easy for me. Thank God. Um. But first, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna log off, and then uh, tonight we're all gonna get a pot of coffee, come back and talk about Thelema, and then we'll uh, do our homework and then come back and do uh, Jesus Priest next. All right, sounds great. Um, so we'll sign off for now, but next time um, I think we'll continue this conversation talking about Murder City Devils. EP before they officially broke up Tholima, released in 2001. And then after that, we'll go into Steve's nomination of Judas Priest, Stained Class. So if you want to follow along, you can listen to wherever they're available on the streams, or if you have those in your record collection, good on you. But as always, this has been Mark. Eric. And Stephen Halford as we always wish you that we brought you closer to pod.